The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping a strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network Jim Robin here with the young boy Josh Smith and Karen Peterson from Post Wrestling. On today's show, we'll announce the winners of our 2021 Year End Awards, review the best of the Super Junior World Tag League Finals, discuss the Wrestle Kingdom 16 cards, answer listener questions, and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only Browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, Karen, how you guys doing? All is good, y'all. It's great to be back. I'm surviving. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm a little bit under the weather uh, after all the heavy drinking we did the other night for FOH draft. Uh, it compromised my immune system and uh, ships going down, as they say. Well, uh, speaking of the FOH draft, that is also uh, now available. If you go to socialsuplex.com, uh, banner there on top of the website to uh, link to the FOH draft. It's a uh, pay what you want model. Uh, we're suggesting a donation of $5 for the audio. It's uh, three and a half hours. It's hilarious. It's great stuff. You're not going to want to miss it. Yeah, this is a year where I don't feel ashamed necessarily of anything I said in particular. Most years I come back with some sort of shameful thing that I did. Although for some reason I got really drunk and I just started telling all the subjects to fuck themselves, which like, for instance, like, when it was like we we were like shooting on edges like uh you know run since he's come back and he himself was not the like object of criticism but at the end of it I felt the need to tell him to go fuck himself even though nothing we had been complaining about had anything <laughs> to do with him particularly I just like became belligerent and started just attacking whoever it was we were speaking on so that happened but you could tell towards the tail end of the show that like. 
I'm done because I just go completely silent and it's just three people talking <laughs> and you don't hear me for like a good 30 minutes on the show at all. Oh man. It was a long night. I was getting you, tired toward the end. You can tell Jer- Jeremy is drunk, not because of anything he says, but he just laughs at stuff that he normally wouldn't laugh at. Like I'm telling jokes that no one else is laughing at except for just Jeremy <laughs> and they're not particularly good. And I was like, Oh man, this man's drunk too. <laughs> Oh, well, we got a lot of stuff to cover this week and to try and get it all done in three hours for you guys here. Uh, but first things first, we've got a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. He says, how much convincing was needed in order to bring Karen onto the show, especially after the burial of her boy, yo? It didn't really take much convincing at all. It was like, are you free? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't until after I committed that I listened to the show and I was like, mm, we're going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was uh, some hot takes last week on uh, on Yo. We, did, we didn't know how if you were going to you know, want to come back on. Oh, you guys know you're some of my favorite guys. And I realized while I was checking out which episodes I had been on, Last year for the World Tag League Best of the Super Juniors preview was my first show with you guys. So it's kind mm. of like our anniversary. So nice. happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Karenversary. Karen. <laughs> that was our first show ever? With me. No, I know. I'm I just... think so, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I feel like you've been on the show a lot more often and longer. No, I've only that's... been on like four times maybe. Wow, that's that's crazy. Yeah. We, we talk to each other frequently. We see each other at shows. So it's kind of like. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get started here with the first topic. We're going to announce the uh, winners of our 2021 year-end awards. Um, I'll run through the categories, give the third, second, and first place, and then we can just kind of give just some quick thoughts about uh, the winners and kind of how the voting went in each category. And I think we have some questions about the awards uh, towards the end here. So we'll start off with the, the big one here, Wrestler of the Year. So coming in third place with 121 points, the quote-unquote real IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Will Ospreay. Coming in second place with 205 points, one half of the Tag Team Champions, Zack Sabre Jr. And coming in first with 570 points, the current reigning and defending IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the Dragon Shingo Takagi. Um, first thing I'd like to point out, obviously, Shingo, he ran away with it this year. Many, many accolades thrown his way, you know, winning the title, having two stellar, you know, performances in the New Japan Cup as well as the G1 this year. You know, numerous, probably more great matches under his belt than any other competitor in New Japan. But I'd also like to kind of point out something interesting. So Zack Sabre Jr. came in second place. That's the highest he's ever done in our award uh, poll voting. Um, And spoiler alert, he didn't win the Gaijin of the Year Award, which we'll be talking about later. But he was the highest rated Gaijin in the overall Wrestler of the Year Award, which I thought was kind of a unique thing. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, Karen? Well, I'm a huge Shingo fan because he is our actual IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. (laughs) And he put the company on his back this summer and did all those wonderful things. He earned the MVP award from Tokyo Sports. He is the man. He is the champion. He is the best. And he deserves it. 
Yeah, Shingo is a man. He was definitely somebody we thought was going to win uh, last year in 2020. Uh, but he got this year. It's an incredible resume of big matches from the beginning of the year with the never uh, title matches rolling on into the New Japan Cup and then uh, finally winning the IWB World title and kind of the feuds he's been having there and defenses he's had this year. He's just been absolutely incredible. And, you know, big shout-outs to uh, Zack Sabre, who, uh, you know, the strong second place, who's had a, he had a strong G1. It's a strong year with the Techers. And then uh, Osprey, I definitely think, you know, if he wasn't uh, – and have an inactivity, he probably would have placed a little bit higher here. Yeah, but, uh, you know, thank you to everyone that voted on this. But, man, Shingo, what a year. Uh, you know, last year he was just a smidge away from winning this exact same award. And he was, you know, upper mid of the card. And we didn't think that this was ever actually a realistic goal. And, you know, the glow up is real. This guy <laughs> is literally the MVP. Like, who would have ever thought, you know, Shingo Takagi from Dragon Gate would be like sitting on top of the Pearl World. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, now let's move on to the match of the year. So coming in third place with 143 points, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Shingo Takagi from the new beginning in Nagoya. Coming in second place with 209 points, El Desperado versus Hiromu Takahashi from the best of the Super Junior 27 finals. And then coming in first with 224 points, Shingo Takagi versus Will Ospreay from Don Taku. Well, um, you know, this was actually one of the closest. Um, uh, I don't know. What, what would you call it? Closest races. Are, yeah, it's one of the closest races we had in our awards this year. Um, the number one and number two spot were literally separated by just a few votes. So, I mean, it could, and it was kind of going back and forth, you know, day after day, it was kind of crazy. Um, you know, I will say me and Jeremy, I think we're both in the camp where the match that came in first place probably would have been our first pick. Um, Karen, I kind of didn't mean to, but I accidentally actually looked at your, uh, ballot. <laughs> you accidentally didn't mean to. <laughs> Well, what happened it's is it's fine. No, this is a true story. So what happened is when you're like scrolling down, there's like two boxes. There's one for the ballots and there's one to like get past the people that voted. And since you were like one of our very first voters, I accidentally clicked on yours and I didn't look at all of it, but I couldn't help but notice. I was like, oh, wait, number one, uh, Hiromu and Desperado. So I know that you voted that as your number one. <laughs> I got to be turned like that, Josh. <laughs> It, it was my match of the year because it was at the very end of last year. It's still one of my favorite matches. So I could I could not not rank it as number one. Well, I still think about that match. Well, I think that me and Jeremy were both high on it, but we weren't quite as high as you were. So I only brought that up to not to blast you, but basically <laughs> uh, to open up the dialogue. I mean, f for you, what was you know memorable about that match and what made it number one for you? Well, it was the intensity of the match. That was one of the matches when I watched it. I was glad I was at home and I was by myself. And it was in a room in my house that was pretty soundproof because I was screaming through the entire match. And the fact that they, the two, the pair of them are going to have a repeat match this year at the Dome. Mm. They, they've essentially carried the division despite, you know, fighting with the company and constantly put, trying to elevate the rest of the junior division, even though the company wouldn't let them. But this match is just for me as a fan of the juniors, it just it just has such, such gravity with me that I, I can't not vote for it as my favorite when compared to the rest of the list. 
yeah. awesome. Yeah, I definitely feel like this match definitely tugged on the heartstrings of a lot of fans, and especially since it fell into this year's voting period versus last year. I think a lot of fans wanted to see this match get its credit. I think we're seeing a, a lot of, uh, you know, we'll go around the awards, we'll see a lot of love for Desperado. And I think a lot of fans, you know, he's gotten over big time in the last year, and I think that a final match was one of the key, you know, movements of him gaining popularity with the domestic and Western audiences. Yeah, I I think that's definitely a trend that we saw uh, all throughout the voting period is an uptick in Desperado votes. The the interesting thing, I think where Desperado hasn't succeeded just yet, and I'm not ruling it out, I don't think he's necessarily crossed over to other fandom to where, you know, your more casual New Japan fans are into him the way they were with like Hiromu at the height of his popularity. That remains to be seen. But as far as like the core audience, he's like, he's over like Rover with those people. And, uh, you know, that was definitely on display, but you know, the match of the year here, um, you know, it can't be denied. Um, Shingo and Will Ospreay, the second one, the one from Duntaku, uh, blew people away was, you know, again, and actually this is the second time that the, this duo has won match of the year for our awards. And, you know, they'll probably place pretty high in most polls. Um, very different than the majority of the early matches they had. Uh, but you know, a lot of story elements, a lot of what was done in this match was built off of the new Japan cup final match that they'd had just a few months prior. And, uh, I mean, for me, it was, in my opinion, easily the the best New Japan match of the year. It was the only one that gave me that feeling that I had watching like 2017 big match New Japan, you know? Yeah, I think they did a great job setting up this feud and this rivalry. You know, the New Japan Cup match, it had some shenanigans. You had B Priestley kind of running in and out there and that whole stuff that was going on there. But then this match, you got a straight, clean match. Osprey and Shingo, two of the best wrestlers in the world this kind of continuing rivalry that we saw all start off in the best of super juniors in 2019. And now we're seeing both of them as heavyweight. They're both in the main event getting this push that we never thought would happen. You have Osprey leading his own faction. You have Shingo being pushed to the forefront. And like you mentioned, Josh, they just did some incredible things in that matchup. They have great chemistry and it match just blew me away. So you, you said Shingo being pushed to the forefront. I think he's leading his own faction too, actually. <laughs> Uh, not trying to get any heat with uh, Naito fans. <laughs> Careful on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's move on to the show of the year. So coming in third place with 184 points, Wrestle Grand Slam in Tokyo Dome. Coming in second place, 345 points, Wrestle Kingdom 15 Night 1. And then coming in first place, 389 points, our winner... The show of the year, Wrestle Kingdom 15, Night 2. Yep, it's one of those things where, you know, the Wrestle Kingdom brand overall has a cachet to it. Uh, And then you take that, you combine it with the atmosphere of the Tokyo Dome, uh, you know, on January 4th or the 5th, and the excitement that kind of gets coupled with that. And combine it with how much reverence the company treats that card with and how much they stack it up and how much fan interest there is uh even just the level of exposure that 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 those shows receive it's very hard for any other show throughout the year to even overcome that but i do truly think that this was the most deserving when you look on paper at all the shows that happened this year i mean this one was blow away i mean top to bottom jeff cobb versus um shingo's on this card 
uh, the fantastic uh, Abushi versus Jay White, you know, um, double gold title main event, which <laughs> double gold, that's the thing of the past. Um, <laughs> you know, Hiromu and Taiji Ishimori tearing the house down. And then, you know, a variety of other really great matches as well. Even Sonata and Evil wasn't the most egregious thing in the world. So <laughs> if I remember my votes correctly, I think I, I ranked resurgence in my top three only because as a sentimental favorite of it being the first show back in the States and abroad for new Japan. But I don't disagree with the outcome because the other, the ones that won are outstanding shows. Yeah. I definitely think resurgence, I think might be a little bit underrated across the board. I feel like a lot of the new Japan of America stuff um, doesn't always get the love it deserves, and yeah, Resurgence I think was a big show that had some hot angles and could really kind of, you know, kind of really was a big statement for uh, New Japan of America. And also, we were all there live, and so I'm sure we have some like live bias, but uh, that was a really fun show. But yeah, I'll see Wrestle Kingdom, the biggest show of the year, the grandest stage. You know, I think Night Two also won last year, if I remember correctly. Um, I I thought it was night one but it might it, i don't know it's hard to say yeah um, i'll have to look back and see but i'll see usually it usually comes down between wrestle kingdom and dominion uh most years or what's uh, gonna win because usually those are the biggest stages the biggest matches but like you were saying josh yeah wrestle kingdom 15 just had so many uh great matches and moments there and of course you know ending the night with abushi uh, beating Jay White and you know leaving cemented as the double champion. It was just kind of a celebration of Ibushi that whole all those two days. You know, finally winning the double title and then defending it, where so many people thought that Jay um, could have pulled the upset and you know crushed uh, some dreams. But yeah, Ibushi prevailed and it was just an overall great night. Yeah. So last year, Wrestle Kingdom night, uh, Wrestle Kingdom fourteen night two also won. So that's back to back. Uh, where night two is one but uh yeah i mean awesome show nice well let's move on now to the jushin thunder liger junior of the year so coming in uh third place with 268 points the ticking time bomb hiromu takahashi coming in second place 281 points the sniper of the skies robbie eagles and then coming in first with a whopping 547 points, the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, El Desperado. Yeah, um, interesting voting this year. I think that this might have been the lowest Hiromu's done um, in the voting post, you know, his uh, neck um, injury. So, I mean, that's kind of telling you something but again a lot of that has to do with the fact that he was out for a good portion of this year with uh the torn pectoral muscle and all that so um big shout out to robbie eagle stepping up you know really elevate being elevated in a major way within the rankings and trajectory of the company but uh you know the big story here is the obvious one el desperado coming in first place and you know by a wide margin and this is kind of what we were alluding to earlier just how well he did in the voting here. And I kind of thought this might be one that was a little more iffy. You know, there is a lot of love for Hiromu out there. I kind of thought he might, you know, potentially just off name value win this award. But it does seem like those that were paying attention, which were mostly that voted, you know, did the right thing and kind of gave it to El Desperado, who I think is most deserving, you know, multiple-time champion this year, multiple-time tag champion this year, had a fantastic Super Juniors last year and kind of broke out. 
the big uh abushi match know, the big abushi match challenging for the title i mean he he had a banner year any thoughts on despy karen i he's amazing so yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean like i like i said before his match with Hiromu from last from the very you know best of the super juniors finals last year still sits with me now so it doesn't surprise me that he's sitting at the top yeah and like you mentioned, Josh, all those big moments. I'm sure, yeah, that kind of that he was just riding a wave of momentum coming from the Super Junior Finals of Hiromu. Then just kind of riding that wave in the beginning of the year, eventually getting that match with Ibushi, winning the title back again, and now he's a champion again. So, yeah, it's been a great uh, you know calendar year here for El Desperado. What I liked about Desperado going into this year's Super Juniors was that he he had that press conference where he was just like, "I should be in the main event. I want everyone in my, in my matches to be a title defense." You want to up, up the ante? I'll just knock them out one after the other. And it, it kind of, it was frustrating to watch that the company was like, they didn't go with it. But the fact that he was willing to be a fighting champion during Super Juniors set, spoke volumes to me for him as a champion, even though he's a, a heel wrestler. I would go even as far as to say that the moment he won the title for the first time when uh, Chris Charlton was kind of on the call, that might be like the best call of uh, Chris Charlton's like entire broadcasting career. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, oh man, he's actually saying stuff that's like pretty emotional, meaningful, you know, not just spouting off facts, you know? Yeah, that was definitely a great moment for Desperado. But Karen, it might have been a good thing he didn't end up defending the title because he, he, yeah, he, he lost quite, <laughs> quite a few times. <laughs> he would have dropped it a few times, but. <laughs> Could have made things interesting. <laughs> I don't even know if he would have got it back. <laughs> no, I, I don't think he would have. Uh, well, uh, let's move on here to tag team of the year. So coming in third place of 171 points, the LIJ team of Tetsuya Naito and Sonata. Coming in second place, 321 points, the trio unit of Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. And then coming in first place, 560 points. The current IWGP Tag Team Champions, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi, the Dangerous Techers. Um, very interesting, Naito and Sonata uh, placing as high as they did with how little they tagged this year. But I think that speaks to the appeal of a superpower team like them and also the quality of matches they did have for the you know few times they did wrestle um but every year we're gonna have some award that i vehemently disagree with and you know to nobody's surprise the tag team of the year is gonna be one uh it's gonna be that one for me i completely believe that the chaos trio should have been the tag team of the year but i do understand the reasoning for having uh dangerous techers take the top spot i mean they carried the most prestigious titles you know uh in the company they were kind of the, the face of the division and i mean when you're talking about how many great matches the castrio had yeah they might have had 6 7 8 9 really remarkable matches but techers really weren't that far behind them anyways so it's kind of hard to usurp a team that's doing as well as dangerous techers did all throughout the year so you know uh very deserved to them i think i don't know if they've won this award before but uh yeah they won last year okay so we got back-to-back winners here you know so that's pretty cool i'm just really happy to see that the the never six man yielded not only like i'll vote but like a whole bunch of votes to get second place because they were my they were like my pandemic open weight favorites for the (laughs) part of a a year and some so it was good to see that you know 
they're probably you know when you think about the scheme of tag teams and wrestlers like wrestlers in new japan they're not necessarily the most popular ones with the western audience but the fact that they're Western fans also rallied behind them, I think speaks a lot for them as a, as a cohesive unit. Yeah, I think the thing that might have hurt uh, the Chaos Trio here in the, in the voting is just the fact that so many of their defenses were on Road 2 shows. Right. And so your more you know casual New Japan fans who are not watching every Road 2 show might have missed uh, several of their great uh, tile defenses that happened this past year. They and, missed and, out. <laughs> and, and, but you know what? That, that's also a message from the company. It tells you that when their matches on the big shows don't mean as much, they don't mean as much as, you know, the, the golden tag team title champions, you know? Right. Uh, but we've never had a trio do this well in our tag voting. We've never had the never six-man tag team champions do this well. So, I mean, even just coming in second place is probably a pretty big accomplishment. Yeah, so it's a big testament to the work that they've done over the last year. You know, their huge, what was it, 454-day uh, title reign? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. So uh, now we'll move on to the Carl Gotch Strong Style Award. So coming in third place with 229 points, Jeff Cobb. Coming in second place, 293 points, the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii and coming in first place, 374 points, the dragon, Shingo Takagi. I just want to see all three of them fight now. Like fight <laughs> each other. <laughs> that's like that that's 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 a lot to unpack. Like they they're all very deserving and I'm very proud of all of them, but man, I just want them all like three of them just to lock in a room and just go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all three of them have wrestled and have put on amazing performances with one another so i mean it's one of those things like it's the gift that just keeps on giving like (laughs) but uh you know um it's it's interesting with shingo because i don't think he got as many opportunities to have those hoss style matches this year as he normally does because he wasn't sort of relegated to that never division but he kind of got to bring his own unique brand of violence to the heavyweight division and kind of unload that on guys like Okada and Tanahashi and Will Ospreay. So that's been kind of fun to see him be like the Carl Gotch representative, you know, in the actual main event scene. Right. Especially if you look at his G1, like so many of his matches are so hard hitting and just, um, you know, very strong style fights and, yeah, that's just a part of Shingo's style. He's, he's going to bring the, the pumping bomber, those lariats, those uh, forearm strikes, and uh, you know, the Yukon lariat. He has so many strong like, power moves, it's almost impossible for him not to wind up as a, a nominee here. Yeah, and I mean, he had um, you know two fight of the year candidates with Ishii and with Jeff Cobb just this calendar year. You know, um, two other matches that I think stand out for me with him, and I, I mean, if we talked about all his matches, we'd be here all day, but the series of matches he had with uh, ZSJ really stand out at mm, the tail end of the year yeah. as being like, you know, kind of just showing the versatility of, of his style and his violence, you know? Yeah. Karen, any other thoughts on uh, Shingo before we move on? He's wonderful and he's my champion. <laughs> he's a badass. <laughs> he deserves all the accolades that are being showered upon him. He's amazing. <laughs> Nice. Well, I think he's going to get some more accolades here as we talk about Feud of the Year. 
So coming in third place with 205 points, we have Jeff Cobb versus Kazuchika Okada. Coming in second place with 222 points, the feud between Dangerous Techers and Los Ingobernables de Japón. And then first place, 389 points, the feud of the year, Will Ospreay versus Shingo Takagi. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, you know, most of these um, top feuds were pretty much feuds that were kind of just revolving match quality as opposed to personal vendettas and issues and angles and things like that. Uh, it seemed like most of the voters kind of just went with whatever series of matches had the best matches, which, you know, if that's the way you're voting, you probably would have ended up with Cabo Kata, Techers LIJ, and Osprey Shingo. Osprey Shingo is an interesting one in that there's a lot of history there, as we alluded to for match of the year. Uh, they've had quite a few matches with one another here in New Japan. But um, it's really taken a different tone ever since, uh, you know, Will, you know, uh, formed the United Empire. And uh, that kind of shifted everything quite a bit this past year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't really, I can't really argue with this particular um, series of matches. The, the only thing that's kind of a drawback for me is there was only two of them. And it kind of felt like we were maybe getting a third one until the injury and then the hiatus from Will and who knows what, what's, what the future holds. But, you know, there wasn't necessarily a better series of matches from any other, you know, tandem here on this list. I would agree with that assessment. But I'm also now motivated to find my own fake title so I can challenge Shingo for a championship <laughs> spot at Wrestle Kingdom because apparently all that's all you need is a fake belt. So Yeah, I think something that would definitely help like this the voting here. Obviously like Osprey coming back with the quote unquote real world title because you got you got, got a lot of promos back and forth between those guys and uh, so angles being shot to, to set up this year's uh, you know, double goal dash. And so we're going to see that rivalry kind of play out uh, towards the end of the year and going into uh, Wrestle Kingdom. That's true. I'm just very uh, reticent about that because we don't know who's actually facing Will Ospreay on night two, and it could very easily be Okada still. Yeah. So that's that's my one apprehension, but that might be part of what's also kind of fanned the, fanned the flames a little bit for people as well. Yeah. So let's move plus, on. Plus, it was like two of the best matches of the year. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to the Big Van Vader Gaijin of the Year. So coming in third place with 205 points, Will Ospreay. Coming in second place with 336 points, Zack Sabre Jr. And coming in first place, 455 points, the Aloha maker, Jeff Cobb. Shout out to the one person that gave uh, one first place vote to Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever did that, they're awesome. Uh, (laughs) um, Also interesting, John Moxon only got two votes, two first place votes for the entire, you know, which is uh, not totally surprising, but I'm like, you know, that's he, I, he doesn't really deserve much more than that. He's barely in the company, so that's right, good. But, but I was kind of shocked, too, because we've seen in the past when we throw Moxley on here, even with he his— just gets a lot of votes no matter what. Right, even with his little involvement, you know, that's, he's more popular, and, you know, we, we do have some crossover with the AEW fan base. And so in previous right. years, we've seen Moxley 
get a lot of votes and things maybe he shouldn't have gotten votes for. But this year, it seems like maybe we have a more, you know, diehard New Japan fan base that's voting. Maybe all the AEW fans have, have went off because, yeah, not, not a lot of love here for Mox. The other interesting thing, I know we're not really talking about fourth place, but the fourth place individual on this list is ELP. So, you know, all that talk about Jay and the Dome and Bullet Club and blah, blah, blah. Maybe they're onto something here. I don't know. But, uh, you know, let's talk about Jacob. Uh, I pointed out earlier that even though Zack Sabre Jr. was the second place runner up for wrestler of the year, he's also the second place runner up for Gaijin of the year. And somehow when he did better, in wrestler of the year than Jeff Cobb, but Jeff Cobb edged him out here. I don't know if maybe it's because we named the award big Van Vader Gaijin of the year. Maybe people are confused. That has something to do with like (laughs) the size, (laughs) not the fact that like big Van Vader just happens to be the most successful Gaijin in the history of new Japan. (laughs) But uh, yeah, man, Jeff Cobb, he, he tore it up this year. Um, So many accolades. I mean, his G one run, you know, everything that he did, the, the feud with Okada, just bringing a new edge and nastiness to what he was doing, both in Japan as well as in the States. Um, yeah, Jeff Cobb fucking ruled, man. I mean, the match with Ibushi, there's so much, uh, the match with Shingo, there's, he's just awesome. My thing about, like, trying to pick one person for this is very difficult because between the year that Jeff Cobb's had and the way Zack Sabre Jr. just completely won me over in the G1 after saying you can throw your brackets in the bin with Naito's knees, I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. This is, he's, my new, he's my top gaijin. He's the number one guy. So the pair of them have just been the biggest standouts for me. And of course, you know, Robbie Eagles going there, you know, pretty much since the beginning of summer, being away from his family this long is just like, that's another person that's really stood out to me. In addition to you know being junior champion and the junior tag tag champion, yeah, Robbie definitely had a really great year this year. Um, we know we see a little bit of love for some of the New Japan strong guys like uh, Dickinson and Tom Lawler, uh, but yeah, Cobb, Saber, and uh, Osprey all had a really great year, especially uh, Cobb and Saber. Both these guys really hit the ground running this year. You know, for several years now with Jeff Cobb. We've said on this show, you know, there's just something that Cobb is missing when he first came in and he was having that feud of Goto over the Never titles. Like, man, like, he's a great wrestler, but there's just something missing to really make him click and get to that next level. And we've seen him kind of put all the pieces together this year and joining the United Empire, going heel, all the great you know, tag team stuff he did with great Ocon earlier in the year, and then uh, getting that singles push, especially in the G1, being the first guy to go 8-0, uh, and o, getting to the finals against uh, the block finals against Okada. Like, Cobb has really elevated himself this year. And then same thing with Sabre, um, tapping out all those guys in the beginning of the, the A block there and, you know, yeah, throwing Naito in the bin uh, with the brackets. And uh, then the two title matches with uh, Shingo, I think, really won a lot of people over. And I, I would love at some point to see Sabre uh, with a run of the title. Absolutely. So uh, let's Can't mo- wait. <laughs> let's move on to a faction of the year here. So coming in, uh, this is a really really close race here. So coming in third place with three hundred and fourteen points, the United Empire. Coming in second place with three hundred and nineteen points, Suzuki Goon. And then coming in first yet again, three hundred and twenty-seven points. Los Ingerbanables de Japón. 
I believe they have won this award every year. So this is probably what their what fourth, fifth time winning this award now. Yeah, this is our fifth annual award. This is the fifth time they've won it. And, you know, this was the closest they've ever come to losing it. In fact, peeling back the curtain a little bit, they were losing this until a couple hours uh, of the final voting. I don't know what happened, but they literally were losing the entire time. They were being outshined by Suzuki Goon, namely, and for a period, United Empire as well. And then in like the last couple of hours, Hail Mary, something happened. Someone said the right prayer to the LIJ gods because their fans came through and a bunch of first place votes came through. When I checked it the next morning, I was like, wait, they won? Like, cause I couldn't believe it. Cause they were not winning the entire time. Like I thought it was a foregone conclusion. I was like, Oh, they got a lot of votes, but they're donezo. Nope. Someone, I don't know. We got some weird uh, emails. You know, one, one was like Hiromu something, something. You know? <laughs> Hiromu fan 29. Bushi mask wear. I don't know. It was weird. Can <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts on LIJ? Oh, I, I'm an LIJ fan. And I, I feel like that vote was probably largely driven by the year that Shingo and Hiromu have had. Mm. And the popularity of Naito and Sonata in World Tag League. Yeah, I wouldn't really argue with this one necessarily. It's not necessarily even our most prestigious award but you know it is kind of nice to get a gauge on which group is sort of lead at the forefront of the fandom and and the company and you know once again lij has won obviously they've done a lot of really good things this year so i'm not even like saying it's a it's a terrible call yeah but i was surprised because it felt like for the first time in five years they might finally give up the throne but uh it was not so no, the, the margins are like less than 10 votes a, p- a piece between first, second, and third. I'm just happy to see how much how many votes Team Filthy got. Yeah. Being the only group that's on that list that hasn't been in Japan. Right, and that's a show people are starting to tune into strong. And obviously Team Filthy is like the, one of the you know the cornerstones of that program. Filthy Tom being the champ there. And, uh, you know, it, it was looking kind of shaky towards the end of last year with Team Filthy with some of the members leaving and going to WWE. Then, you know, they brought in, you know, J.R. Kratos. You had Dane Limelight. They brought in the West Coast Wrecking Crew and really just uh, solidified that unit. They should let Tyler Russ back in. Well, we'll, we'll talk about him. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that pans out. <laughs> 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 uh, so, yeah. So, overall, yeah, really close race here. I think next year is probably going to be another tight race, uh, especially the more I feel like, you know, United Empire is in for another great year, um, adding uh, TJP to the ranks and just how great o- um, Cobb and O'Connor have been doing. And at some point, we'll get Aussie open in the mix as well. Um, so, that's going to be a really strong faction. Hantai is going all the way next year. Even though they got zero first place votes this year, they're going all the way. <laughs> Seki Goon. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the most improved wrestler of the year coming in third place, 201 points, Alex Coughlin. Coming in second place, wow. uh, 246 points, our man, Doki. And then coming in first place, 429 points, Jeff Cobb. Yeah, I think everyone on this list deserved to be nominated and not surprised that Alex and Doki did as well as they they did. Uh, I actually kind of thought Doki would take this particular award. Um, 
but I'm, you know, once you start to think about it, Cobb does make a lot of sense. My whole thing is that Cobb, um, we kind of put him on here because not because he improved as a wrestler. He's always been a fantastic wrestler, you know? And I mean, it's not like he's better. And I mean, you're always getting better, but it's not like he's, you know, leaps and bounds better than he was a year or two or even three, you know, ago. But I think where his improvement comes is where he's slotted within the company. And then also just how he's perceived by the audience and uh, that must have resonated with a lot of people because they kind of see him, they, they've seen him turn into this killer and this sort of behemoth juggernaut. And, uh, you know, that's what won him this award is just his dominance throughout the year. Yeah. The thing about Jeff is that this is the Jeff Cobb many of us who are longtime fans of Jeff have wanted to see for a very long time. So, like the he- turning heel glow up, while I didn't agree with him going to the United Empire it was probably the best move for him career-wise within the company. And I, I I, honestly think Alex Coughlin should have been ranked a bit higher only because of his challenge series is probably one of the hardest menus anyone's had in the company this entire year. Between yeah. fighting, you know, has he fought Suzuki? I want to say he's fought Suzuki, but I could be wrong. I don't, I don't, I don't but, think so. But he's like fought like people like, Oh, why am I blanking on this? You fought Josh, uh, Josh Barnett, Josh Alexander. That the Joshes, that's where I was at. Not E. Smith. <laughs> <laughs> the other Joshes. But like between between I, he's just had such like he is graduating from young lion status after this, right? So he that's has what he needs to. Like he, he has one more challenge match which will be against uh J.R. Kratos, which happened at the Nemesis tapings, and I believe that will be his last um official match before he drops the, the black trunks. Man, he needs to fight his uh, Shibata somewhere, anywhere, everywhere, please, and thank well, you. Well, we don't know, you know, who is I wrestling know. Shibata, so you never know. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Coughlin did some great work this year. You know, coming back off the neck injury, I feel like he, in fans' eyes, was kind of slotted uh, below Fredericks and Connors and some of the other L.A. Dojo guys, but coming back from the neck injury – he came back, um, you know, on fire, and yeah, the challenge match series helped a lot. And overall, he just improved a lot. And I think obviously training with Josh Barnett has helped as well. And some of the excursion stuff he's done as well this year. Um, yeah. and, and the mustache, <laughs> good mustache. Yeah. It's a strong mustache. So <laughs> mustache strong style. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Jeff Cobb, like we mentioned earlier, like I said, you know, we always said, you know, there was something missing. He found the missing pieces. Um, the heel turn was, you know, like you mentioned, Karen, definitely something that was uh, well needed for him and to show that more aggressive side. And uh, like you mentioned, Josh, again, not really improved, quote unquote, in the ring, a great wrestler. But yeah, definitely taking that next step into being a main eventer, getting world tile shots, G1 block finalists. I uh, definitely think we're going to see some more big things for Cobb to come in 2022. So uh, now let's move on to the New Japan of America MVP. So coming in third place with 185 points, our boy Ren Narita. Let's go. <laughs> coming in second place, 290 points, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson. And this was a close one here. Coming in first with 306 points, the current strong open weight champion, 
filthy Tom Waller. Yeah, that was a close one. 16-point difference there. Uh, you know, Tom took the first-place votes, but uh, Chris Dickinson really made – caught up a lot of ground with the second and third place votes, uh, closing that gap. But, um, you know, I, I think everyone on here did great this year, but Tom Lawler obviously had to be the most deserving. I mean, he wrestled the most big match main events. He won the new Japan cup of America U S tournament. He was the first inaugural strong open weight champion, defended that title numerous times, been involved in, all the big angles, all the big stories involving New Japan Strong and kind of just carried the brand and not only carried it, but had fantastic matches the whole year through. Like, I can't think of any match of his where I was like, well, that sucked, you know? So, I mean, he's having good to great performances uh, and he's hilarious on the mic and sometimes <laughs> scary on the mic and grimy and filthy. It's He's awesome. One of the things I love about Tom Lawler, especially as the strong champion, is that for the larger part of the year, there's been a vacancy in the IWGP US heavyweight champion title picture because it was on a person who was not on strong nearly as much as Tom Lawler. So in my eyes, the strong openweight title was probably the top title. And in so, the matches he's had to defend the title and the buildup to all of those matches, including his one with Ren Narita, was really great. Dickinson... Can't say enough good things about him. He had a breakout year. It sucks that he's injured, and I hope it gets well soon because I miss watching him wrestle. And my boy, Ren, I, I shamelessly ranked him on this one because I was like, <laughs> if, he, if, he, if he's not, not going to be included in some of the other ones, I'm like, nah, nah, nah. My, my, my boy, he's doing the thing. He's turning into Shibata 2.0. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a time period there where Ren Narita kind of disappeared. We didn't know if he was in Japan, if he was in L.A., what was he doing. He wasn't on strong. He wasn't on a, on an excursion anywhere. But then eventually he just kind of showed back up, and he's been killing it ever since, having a lot of big matches, a great feud with uh, Fred Rosser. We've seen uh, two matches with Tom Lawler. His match with Chris Dickinson was awesome. And just like you mentioned, Jabba 2.0, the, the aggressiveness that he's been bringing to the ring has been great. Um, and then you had Dirty Daddy and, and Filthy Tom. I mean, two new additions, uh, the Strong and, and the U.S. roster. Great pickups here from uh, New Japan. Chris Dickinson, obviously a guy who's been killing it on uh, a lot of indies and GCW, Beyond Wrestling, but really hasn't had that mainstream uh, tension yet. And so he's getting it here in New Japan. And he had a great title match against Filthy Tom. Uh, again, the aforementioned Ren Narita match. And this is the Suki match, which is absolutely incredible towards the end of the year here in, in Philadelphia. Was great. But yeah, Filthy Tom, man, this guy, just defense after defense, uh, winning the New Japan Cup, like you mentioned, Josh, um, winning the Strong Openweight Championship. And then, you know, just some good old school pro wrestling booking with the way he um, wins matches and who his next challengers are going to be. Um, you know, the defenses we've seen uh, Fred Ross this past weekend and Dickinson and Narita, Kojima. He's just been defending against everybody and anybody, and he's just been the top star on Strong and been kind of the face of the promotion this year. Nice. So with that, let's uh, move on to the newcomer of the year. So coming in third place with 261 points, the aforementioned Filthy Tom Lawler. Coming in second place with 318 points, 
the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson. And coming in first place with 441 points, United Empire's Great O'Con. Yeah, really happy to uh, see Great O'Con kind of get the recognition here. Um, you know, we wait, we've we been waiting for... Um, God, why, I've even forgotten. What was his name before? Okado? Uh, no. Uh, Oka. Oka. God, what's wrong with me? Like... Tomo Yuki Oka. Like, we fucking loved him, and he was gone for all that time, and we were hearing all the bad reports, and we weren't so jazzed about him coming back, and then he came back, and we were like, eh, I don't know if I'm feeling this. But as time has gone on, I really feel like he's found his character, he's found his voice, he's found his way in the ring, and kind of shown a multitude of different facets of his game, whether it be, you know, comedy driven or character driven or technical based or brawling or what have you, he kind of can do it all. And I think that there's, you know, the future is very bright for him and it's great to see Tom Waller, Chris Dickinson, some of these guys get some love, but I mean, Ocon was literally like just debuting at the tail end of last year's awards and has had a full year in Japan to really make his presence felt and to pick up big wins over guys like Naito and, and, you know, have matches with Tanahashi Okada. So, I mean, I don't feel like anyone else has had the same level of presence and effect throughout the company on this list the way that Okan has. I would second everything Josh just said, especially with the absence of Osprey from the summer. Okan stepped into that role. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the leader of the United Empire because <laughs> he, was the, he was the standard bearer. He was, you know... He was putting over everybody that he worked with, with Jeff Cobb, with uh, Hanare. He's been working, you know, cutting all the promos, doing all the things, leading the group in the absence of its actual leader. So he's like at the top of the list where he deserves to be, honestly. Yeah, I love that uh, Gray O'Conn is getting the win here. You know, there's been so many detractors against him and a lot of people who they don't like the gimmick or they think he's a bad wrestler, but I think he really broke out this year, especially his G1. He had a really good G1 with those main events that he had against some of the top guys. And like you mentioned, Karen, just really kind of coming into his own kind of like the mouthpiece of the United Empire, those promos that he cuts without the mic and a lot of great character work, really found himself uh, entering. Something interesting I want to point out with the second and third place, kind of like you mentioned earlier, Josh, in Wrestle of the Year and Gaijin of the Year, in Wrestle of the Year, Zack Sabre Jr. placed better than Cobb, but in Gaijin of the Year, Cobb placed better than Sabre. But here we're seeing that um, in you know the New Japan of America MVP, Lawler beat Dickinson, but here in the Newcomer of the Year, Dickinson uh, beat Lawler. So it was very interesting there. I'm sure people probably felt with Lawler being a strong champion, he had to, had to win the MVP, but I think people might like uh, Dirty Daddy a little bit better. Interesting. Well, congrats to Great Khan on being Newcomer of the Year. So now we will move on to the Fighting Spirit Award. So coming in third place with 198 points, Shingo Takagi being the New Japan Cup MVP and winning his first IWGP world title. Coming in second place with 211 points, Desperado's breakout year. And then coming in first place, 288 point. Shibata's first match in four years. Yeah, 
Um, a lot of moments. Shingo had a lot of moments this year. Desperado had a lot of great moments, but it's hard to argue that anybody had as uh, emotional as emotional or meaningful a moment as Katsuri Shibata did when he returned unexpectedly, unannounced at the New Japan Cup Finals. And I mean, the moment you heard like the freaking rift of his music come on, I was like, wait, what? What's going on? <laughs> and like, I thought he was coming out to cut a promo or something. And then you see he's in like trunks and you know has a towel on he's shirtless and i'm like oh my god is he about to fucking wrestle (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know it was unexpected first time in four years um you know just an incredible incredible display of you know sportsmanship and um competition between him and zach saber jr arguably the best technical wrestler in the world today so you know, very deserving. And like, we've talked about this on the show every year that he somehow gets on the fighting spirit award list and yeah, he took it this year and he deserves it. For me, when I first started watching new Japan, it was shortly after his injury. So one of the first shows I remember watching was when he cut his, I'm alive. That's all promo. Mm, yeah. And I, and I was like, why, why does this feel so heavy? And why is everyone crying? And then like, I would, I went back and learned about it. So, like, that was a very big uh, experience for me because I missed all of Shibata's time in New Japan. I've only ever known him as the coach. I've never seen him. I mean, I've gone back and watched his matches, but I've never seen him wrestle in live time until this match match with Zack Sabre Jr. And I was I was ugly crying into my coffee. I was like, this is amazing because he and I are the same age. So it's one of those things where it's just like just when I think in my life that, you know, things are going wrong or whatever. And I can't, you know, come back, get, come back from it. This man came back from a subdermal hematoma and is like still chasing his dream. So like the fact that it was like, I I looked at this list and there was, there really isn't anything that could have beat it in my mind. Yeah. Such a a huge moment there. Uh, Just kind of the biggest OMG moment of Shibata coming out. And definitely like you guys have said it all there. You know, it's yeah, it was the you know the, the a big moment, and Shabbat definitely earns the Fighting Spirit Award here. So now we'll move on to the Young Boy of the Year Award, the the Joshua Smith Award, to <laughs> call it here. Uh, so coming in third place with two hundred and eighty five points, Yota Suji. Coming in second place with three hundred and sixty nine points, Yuya Uemura. And with the close race here, with the big win, 407 points, first place, Alex Coughlin. Yeah, this was uh, another one of our tight races. And, you know, for a while it looked like Coughlin was going to win. I think at no point did he not have the most first place votes. But there was a period where it looked like uh, Umar was not too far behind in first place votes. And then he was edging him by a pretty large margin in the second place votes. And I was like, Oh man, I think you more is going to like sneak it out, even though he's, you know, he doesn't have the most first place votes, but uh, in the 11th hour, people start voting, you know, we always get a late surge and a lot of Alex Coughlin first place votes piled in and kind of just clinched it for him and very well deserving. Um, you know, I've said it on the show ever since he came back, he's just grown by leaps and bounds to the point where, I like him better than I do Carl Fredericks or Clark Connors. And I wouldn't have said that when they first hopped on the scene, but 
the way he wrestles, the way he carries himself, you know, his um, physicality and intensity, he's Josh Smith pro wrestling. Like, you know, so I'm a, I'm a big, big fan. And I'm glad, to, even though I love Suji and Yumura, um, I'm glad to see him kind of get the recognition he deserves. I, I agree completely. Personally, I, I, I'm hoping that Alex Coughlin finally graduates because it's past time for him. But I am very thrilled to see Yuya on like ranked this high on the list because he when it when it comes to the the young lions that I've careers I've followed in the last four years, him and Narita are my two absolute favorites. So the fact that he's gotten over this well with only being in the states for less than half a year is outstanding to me. Yeah, I think the thing that kind of blew me away was just, yeah, the fact that he's been in, mainly in the States. He's been on strong. And we've seen in other categories, some of the New Japan America stuff didn't get the love it deserved. But uh, clearly, people were zoned in on Coughlin's Challenge Series and the work that he's done this year. And, yeah, beating out Tsuji Yamura, who had a really great year before they went on excursion. Uh, so Plus his work outside of the company, too. Yeah, a lot of the excursion stuff he's been doing, blood sport. He's been in, in the uh, U.K., so a lot of great stuff here for Alex Coughlin. Young boy of the year, Alex Coughlin, well-deserved. So now the strong style fight of the year, one of our favorite categories here, uh, coming in third place with 139 points. Great Okan versus Kota Ibushi from the G1. Coming in second place with 359 points, Tomohiro Ishii versus Shingo Takagi from the G1. And then coming in first place with 407 points, Jeff Cobb versus Shingo Takagi from Wrestle Kingdom 15. Yeah, man. Um, when this year started and that match occurred and people were throwing five stars at it, I was a little apprehensive. And I was like, oh, it was really, really good. But I mean, you know, we're, we're just in January. I mean, everyone's hopping on this bandwagon too soon. You know, there's going to be a lot of stuff that outdoes this this year. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> there was not much that even came close to the amount of physicality that we got in what what was that match? 15 minutes, I think. Around, um, that, around there, yeah. It was around that like era or, you know, time limit, whatever. Um, this match just fucking rules. And I mean, I can't recall. Ever, I want to go back and rewatch it now. But like it, it has stuck with me. I do think it was my first place vote. But I mean, um the amount of physical violence, there was some really crazy spots on the outside on the floor with both of these guys that stick out in my mind where I was like, man, these guys are going to, you know, some of the stuff they're doing is kind of rough. And then look at the year, both of them still went on to have even after the case. I mean, you can make an argument and say they're both kind of beyond the never division right now. And that's where they started their year. But uh, man, a, a fucking awesome match. Like, <laughs> One of the things that we've had to deal with in the last year with the loss of the IC title is the, you know, the idea that the never singles championship was going to be elevated to that second place slot. And for a while, it did kind of feel like that. But, you know, again, it's, it's the people that made that category, made that belt what it is. People like Ishii and Jeff and Shingo. So seeing these matches ranked as high as they are, I'm not surprised at all because I do love me a nice beefy Haas fight. 
Yeah, and you know, like you, Josh, I think I was a little um, conservative on my rating for this match because it was at the beginning of the year, and I didn't want to kind of you know throw too many stars at it. But I, I still thought it was an incredible matchup. And you look at some of like the the pause screenshots from when these guys are hitting each other, just the, the faces they're making and the sweat that's flying off. Like this meant this match was intense. It was hard hitting. Um, and these guys just absolutely killed it. And I hope we see, you know, a, another uh, future match between these guys, especially now that they're both, like you mentioned, Josh, kind of out of the Never, never Division and both in that world title uh, division. So I'd love a, a title match between those guys. One last thing I'll say, we can move on. Um, you know, when this year started, I really thought we were moving to lifting regulations and moving more to just eradicating like COVID and everything kind of going back to normal. And so in my mind, I was like, man, we need more Abushi Jay White, Abushi Naito style matches, uh, you know, in the future. But since that really hasn't happened, I would have rather this year if they'd like kind of audibled throughout the year and given us more, you know, uh, freaking Shingo Jeff Cobb style matches, like more to the point, short, just fucking hit each other. Let's get it in instead of these long, arduous epics that they really haven't, you know, kind of uh, moved off of. And so I think even now, at this point, this match resonates more with me than it did a year ago, if that makes sense. Yeah. The only other point is that people kept getting injured this year. So the people that have these those long, epic matches like Ibushi and Naito were taken out of, out of play. Even Osprey was taken out of play. So it's one of those things where, you know... Longer matches isn't necessarily the best in my mind anymore because I'm it, it's hard when you see so many plans hinge upon one or two people mm. and then one of them gets hurt and then all of a sudden everything just either feels like an afterthought or it's all slapdash trying to figure out a plan B because there was never a plan B to begin with. Yeah, yeah agree. So let's move on to the junior match of the year coming in third place with 177 points. Ellis Parada versus Hiromu Takahashi from the 11-18 Best of Super Junior 27th show. Coming in second place, really close here, 179 points. Hiromu Takahashi versus Robbie Eagles from Wrestle Grand Slam in MetLife Dome. And then first place, 426 points. Ellis Parada versus Hiromu Takahashi from the Best of the Super Junior 27 finals from December 11th, 2020. I just want to start off by saying all the people that voted for those matches in the second and third spot over Hiromu versus Doki are smoking rocks. <laughs> okay. Um, but in all seriousness, we already know how fantastic this match is. Obviously it was our second highest rated match of the year for these awards. And I think that's the highest a junior match might. No, no, no. It's not the highest a match a junior match has ever done, but I mean, it's, it's very, very high. And um, you know, for me, this is just my feelings on the match. I'm about like four and a half on it, but it was a match where I thought it was very good work for the majority of the match. We actually all reviewed it a year ago together. So, mm-hmm. and uh, but that moment when Hiromi starts ripping the mask and then you know Desperado tosses it off and like he just doesn't give a fuck. And then from there, like things are just lit. That match fucking rules. Uh, it, it, this had to be the junior match there. There was really nothing else in its league or, or anything like that. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's incredible. And, you know, it is the match that kind of catapulted Desperado to the year he had this year. I would agree completely. 
Though I do ask for some justice for show because the matches that are listed for him on here are from the Best of Super Junior last year when he was doing really well. Not mm. when he's in House of Torture and everybody hates him now. <laughs> <laughs> I still love him, but everybody hates him. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about like our judging. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure we put the right show matches on no, there. No, that's what I'm saying. You guys had the right matches on there, but those were outstanding matches for for him. So I just I'm just surprised that they just ranked so incredibly low, and that it, I'm hoping it's not due to popular opinion of him at the moment. <laughs> no, I, I think it's just it's Desperado's year, so a lot of love for Desperado, and just like the iconic moment, like you mentioned, Josh, in this match with the mask, you know. Uh, you were pulling pictures for the awards graphic we we're going to make, and you sent some of those pictures to me, Josh, with the, the mask off and in the middle of that battle. You just kind of just see, just remember just how epic that was and just how badass uh, Desperado looked in that moment. Um, and just really kind of encapsulated, you know, him and his year, the year that he was to come after that. So, really great matchup here. Well deserved junior match of the year. So, moving on to the tag team match of the year. Coming in third place with 134 points, we have the Chaos Trio, Goto, actually, I'm sorry, it's the uh, the triple threat match. It's Goto and Yoshihashi versus Sonata and Naito versus Dangerous Checkers from Wrestle Grand Slam in MetLife Dome. What? <laughs> Coming in second place is Sonata and Naito versus the Dangerous Checkers from Wrestle Grand Slam in Tokyo Dome. And then coming in first place, 287 points, Sonata and Naito versus Dangerous Techers from Summer Struggle, July 11th, 2021. Oh, man. Our voters are weak as fuck. I can't <laughs> believe this. They didn't put a single <laughs> never open weight six-man tag team championship title defense in the top three. I thought for sure the one that you were about to read, the one with uh, Suzuki and Dangerous Techers was th- – because that was the best oh, one. Oh, you know I- what? I, I, did, I did mess something up here. So, actually – uh, 138 points for the third place Sh- should have gone to uh, Bushi, Sonata, and Naito versus Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi from Road to Dominion, June. 2nd. Okay, so that's our third place. Yes, you you messed up. I'm looking at it. you're right. Okay, at least there's that. Although I still disagree. I like the Tekkers Suzuki one better, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, take a look at the top two matches. It's Lij versus Dangerous Techers, you know, and those are kind of very, very similar matches in a certain sense. Um, both very, very long, both very, very epic, both built really well. And they happen just, I don't know, 14 days apart on two of the bigger shows of the year. And you would almost think that these could have split the vote because they're so similar, but instead they were both so beloved and remembered that they ended up in our number one and number two spot. Um, I think people went again with uh, the first place vote, the um, the one from Summer Struggle, because that's the one where LIJ lifted the titles. And, you know, if I'm being honest, probably is a little bit the better match. But, um, you know, hats off to the those four guys. They, they killed it, you know, back to back. And then they killed it again in that triple threat as well. I have nothing to add. <laughs> you guys, you guys have nailed it all down. Yeah, uh, I'll see. Like I mentioned, you know, one of the top views, Dangerous Techers versus Lij. So not surprised. You know, two very popular teams here, getting top of the voice. But like you, Josh, kind of disappointed that there wasn't more love uh, given to the never six man uh, matches. But like we mentioned earlier, a lot of those were on road twos. Not everybody was watching those. People are watching the big shows, Summer Struggle, Dominion. So and the tag team title. So totally understand here. So 
Shout out to Dangerous Techers LIJ here for the tag team match of the year. Uh, now we'll move on to the excursion match of the year, and that's uh, matches that happen with New Japan roster members outside of New Japan. Uh, very uh, great list that we put together here. So coming in third place with 148 points, John Moxon and Eddie Kingston versus the Young Bucks from AEW, the match from uh, Double or Nothing, uh, May 30th. Then second place with 165 points, TJP versus Josh Alexander from the June 3rd episode of Impact, the, the Iron Man match. And then coming in overwhelmingly with first place, 456 points, Brian Danielson versus Minoru Suzuki from October 15th AEW show. Karen, do you want to go first? I, I mean... I, I will be the first person to sing all the praises of Minoru Suzuki's American excursion extravaganza, including the Suzuki incident. So <laughs> that that one, of course, him against Danielson topped the list for me. And the impact match between TJP and Alexander, I really liked that one. But full disclosure, I didn't... Every single time there was an AEW match, I wasn't watching AEW weekly. So I don't have a really fair opinion or any opinion on Moxley Kingston versus the Bucks. But I, I would have went with Moxley Barnett for Bloodsport personally, but that's just a personal preference. Yeah, this list was one that we work very, very hard on. And it's uh, in a certain sense easy because there's so much great wrestling happening everywhere, but in another sense, difficult to kind of just narrow down the top 10. Usually all of them could potentially be the winners and sometimes what influences it more than anything else is exposure and familiarity. Um, but I do think Danielson Suzuki is a great, you know, um, winner for this category just because how great the match was, how hard hitting it was and, you know, how available it was to everybody. But you take a look and I mean, TJP versus Alexander, fantastic match, but it's on impact and it's on YouTube. Everyone can see it. Kingston and uh, Moxley versus the Bucks. That's one of the probably the second best tag match in AEW, which is, you know, makes it one of the top tag matches in all of North America, considering how good their tag division is. Um, and then the rest of the matches that are here, you're talking about stuff that's off AEW, off Impact, and it's just doesn't have the same level of uh, exposure. Um, the one that came in fourth place, Osprey versus Ricky Knight Jr., that one was on New Japan World and had a little bit more help there. But, you know, not as many people saw some of these Osprey UK matches or the IWTV match or the Bloodsport. So if uh, my the one thing I always say about this category, and I'll leave it to you, Jeremy, if you guys haven't seen any of the matches on this list, they're not on here for no reason. Everything on here is around four and a half. And so there's a lot of little hidden gems here where I'm like, if you haven't seen Yehi and Alexander, you haven't seen Osprey and Red, you probably want to see this stuff. Yeah, so a list of great matches. I was surprised to see uh, how well TJP and Josh Alexander did, but yeah, it's on impact. The match is also on New Japan World. Uh, Danielson and Suzuki was just absolutely incredible. And, you know, the availability, like you mentioned, Josh, it was free on YouTube. We got the full match, no commercial breaks. Uh, just hard-hitting, awesome action. So a match, you know, we would never have guessed we would have gotten in uh, 2021, and it, it was absolutely awesome and definitely deserving of being our excursion match of the year. There's that, too, the dream match quality of it, too. So, you know, match excursion match of the year, you know, Bryanson and 
You catch me? Yep, Ryanson. Ryanson <laughs> and Suzuki. No, it's because um, James Boyd from One Nation Radio, he always calls him Bryanson. So I've adopted that now. He is now Bryanson. <laughs> All right, we have two award categories left here. So uh, second to last, we have our Angle of the Year. Uh, so coming in here at third place. See, I did not list out the rankings here. Uh, so third place, we have, what, 40 points. Team Filthy turning on Dirty Daddy. Second place, we have Jeff Cobb lying about leaving Japan and attacking Okada. And then uh, first place with 109 points. Oh, actually. I was like, uh, you're reading I'm, this wrong. I was like, what was the point of contention? <laughs> Sorry. to read these off because I've got them here. Sorry. Because my iPad was messing up, so I was reading off my phone and it cut off. Sorry. Let's do I was this. like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was, I was like, those right. are not what you have listed so, here on the Google Those points don't even make sense. <laughs> well, let's try that again. So angle of the year coming in third place with 139 points. Osprey claiming to be the real IWGP world champion. Coming in second place with 162 points. Show attacking Yo and joining the Bull Club. And then coming in first, 442 points. The Shibata exhibition match. So we've already thrown roses at the Shibata return. Obviously an incredible moment. And it it's very, very deserving here. Um, I'm a little and no disrespect whatsoever because I don't want to disrespect Rapongi 3k but i was surprised considering how many angles there were to see this much investment and love kind of thrown to the the show yo turn um especially when i felt like it was it was done well but i felt like they were kind of telegraphing it so much all throughout the tournament you know uh with them just kind of going on this losing streak but i feel like for those that are paying attention that maybe invested them more and then once they did break up, because people do love Rapongi 3K, it was like, oh, fuck, you know? <laughs> if I may. Absolutely. Take the floor. It's yours. So when it came to the 3K breakup, I think what shocked people the most was show being the one to turn heel after the incredible year he had as a solo babyface. Mm. Everyone expected that if they were to split, it was going to be Yo, who had faltered through the entire tournament, and pretty much since he had come back in February that he was probably going he was for a lot of people top pick to not go to bullet club but to end up being the junior in united empire so when yo came back and fell apart and it ends up being show the one who decides to turn everything i think the swerve in that is what got everyone mm. because when he you know when they sent show to bleat and he throttled their champion in the main event of their own show and he was the one who got the, the weekly pro wrestling cover instead of a promotion that just launched and invited him as a guest. It was this whole big to-do. So I feel like, yeah, is Bullet Club the best place for him? Maybe for the time being, yeah. But I think I, I'm actually very happy to see that they ranked this high. But yeah, yo, coming back, that they could have done better with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely think y'all see a lot of investment over the year, over Rapungi 3K, but you know, you know, a lot of great angles here, but when you have Shibata coming back after four years, it being a complete surprise, like you mentioned earlier, Josh, the music's playing and you have no idea what the heck is going on. And it did a great job, you know, keeping that a secret, making it a big surprise. And it's a little five minute exhibition. Like it, it's hard to, to beat an angle like that. 
Yeah. And with it not even being like a real true official match, it did have sort of an angle aspect to it, you know? And it it's a precursor for things to come, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah. So our last category here, the news story of the year. Shibata wrestles again for the four for the first time in four years he won this award he triple crown right here (laughs) (laughs) no he did not win this one here uh so coming in third place with 131 points three nights of wrestle kingdom being announced for the 50th year anniversary which we'll talk all about here in a little bit coming in second place with 207 points the iwgp and ic titles being unified to the world heavyweight title And then coming in first place with 406 points, the Forbidden Door is opened. A lot of news stories this year. We talked about on the show, a lot of them were negative. One that was positive, that was exciting, that got a lot of people talking. The Forbidden Door being opened. I think in a lot of people's minds, that moment when Kenta showed up on AEW is probably what they're referring to. But I mean, it kind of goes beyond that. I mean... We've seen instances of them kind of partnering and working with Stardom and Glee, like she mentioned, and, you know, um, MLW and Impact and AEW, obviously, and, you know, a variety of GCW, just a variety of different promotions that a year or two ago, this kind of would have been unthinkable. So it's it's a really exciting prospect, the idea of just interpromotional, whether it be cross-branding or you know talent trading or whatever that may be and now obviously with the noah show we'll talk about that but that was very exciting uh last week and now maybe not so much but uh (laughs) you know um that this is probably the the one news story i think that has captivated the imaginations of fans on both sides of the fence you know more so than anything else that's happened this year if I never have to hear the phrase the forbidden door ever again, I will be a very happy girl. Do you like forbidden portal better? Because that's what I think Tanahashi <laughs> called it. I mean, <laughs> I, I think it's just there have been very positive things to come out of the forbidden door experience, especially with cross promotions, both within Japan and without and throughout the world. But I think it, one of the more difficult things as a fan was seeing how certain parts of different fandoms and everybody has a seat, every fandom and every promotion has a seat in this. Some people got really nasty that their fantasy booking of the Forbidden Door was the only way to go about it, which would made it very hard to be enjoy just watching the wrestling and all the cross promotional activity. Right. Um, it, it, I mean, it has its good points and its bad points, but at this point, in tw- going into 2022, the, it, the door is not forbidden anymore. It's 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 a toll gate. <laughs> it's open for business. <laughs> they, they've got their shingle out out front, and they're just everyone's working with everyone, and that's great to see. But it's also one of the things that people, I hope, understand that part of the forbidden door isn't just you know booking dream matches. It was an economic necessity for many of these companies, both in Japan and here in the States and abroad. That talent exchange is what helped keep many promotions, especially smaller ones, alive during this time. Yeah. 
And I think when you kind of look at the Venn diagram, you know, you, you have the people in the middle that watch both promotions or multiple companies and they're all in for what's going on. And then, you know, on the right side and left side, you have your diehards of those promotions. And those are the ones that are kind of being negative online or kind of being nitpicky to what's happening here. But I do think, we you know, we did see a lot of positive that came from, you know, the forbidden door being open. I mean, we would get questions uh, for weeks and weeks, you know, when is AEW and New Japan going to work together? Um, you know, during the pandemic, we uh, when New Japan was off, we did one of a special episode of a Josh Knight. We each booked uh, dream cards for uh, New Japan versus AEW. So, I mean, it was definitely a big talking point, something that hardcore fans really wanted. And we uh, finally got it this year. So here, here. So Forbidden Door is open. That is the news story of the year. And that is going to do it for the awards. we got a couple quick questions here from our listeners. Yep. So first from Reddit user, my base baseball, it says awards talk. What were the biggest surprises during the voting? What are you pleasantly surprised by? And what things do you straight up disagree with the listeners on? Uh, well, I'll start. Um, the biggest surprise during the voting was, in my opinion, how close a few of the different um, categories were. You know, um, match of the year, faction of the year, young line of the year. Uh, some of those I didn't think were necessarily that close. But, uh, you know, my opinion doesn't necessarily reflect everybody else's. Um, the thing that I probably disagree the most with, I think that the Never Six Men um champions probably should have been tag team of the year um one thing i do disagree on and i don't want this to sound like i don't like the match but i do disagree on um Hiromu and desperado placing as high as they did um there are a couple other matches that i probably would have put um maybe a few slots above it but other than that most of the awards um i don't think suzuki Goon was the faction of the year not that that's a big award but I do think either Suzuki Goon or United Empire probably were higher uh, in the rankings in my estimation. So that'd be the, the big thing. But um, I was pleasantly surprised to see that most like Desperado got his flowers. Shibata was getting, you know, a lot of love. Um, you know, I agreed with most of what was voted on, which was a pleasant surprise because last year didn't feel like that. Last year felt very discombobulated. I would agree with Josh on that. And for me, as someone who's, you know, a newer fan and been, I've really enjoyed being a part of the keeping it strong style, like community, because I agree with a lot of the opinions and stances that are being taken, especially with like the results of the awards and everything. And I, you know, I, I said my piece about it shows best of the super junior match is not ranking high enough or earlier, but I was, I was very happy to see how everything really turned out. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you guys, and especially you, Josh, with some of the voting and just how so how close a lot of categories were. Um, again, kind of surprised with Young Lion of the Year, Young Boy of the Year, um, just that way that Coglin kind of took off with that. I was expecting it to come down between Tsuji um, and Yamura. Uh, faction of the Year, I feel like United Empire really was established this year and probably should have been uh, the faction of the year. I feel like the the Never Six Man guys, uh, the trio, Chaos Trio, should have gotten uh, more love than they did in the tag matches of the year and tag team of the year. Uh, but overall, um, you know, I think the Warriors did a good job. 
Last thing, he didn't win any individual awards, but Zack Sabre Jr. placing as high as he did in so many of the awards was uh, also refreshing as well. Yeah. Then he also asked, uh, which non-regulars do you want to see more on New Japan Strong in 2022? Personally, I'd love to see Josh Alexander have a real program, but I also appreciate them bringing in like Kevin Koo. I don't know. um, That one's hard to say because, I mean, with Ring of Honor going on a quote-unquote hiatus, the door's really open um, with all the firings from WWE over the past few months and all those non-competes getting ready to, to come up. Plus, again, the... I don't want to say... Uh, what's a better word for forbidden? Is there a different word I can use instead of forbidden? It's not forbidden <laughs> anymore. It's the, just the door. The door's the, open. <laughs> with the disallowed portal uh, being open, <laughs> you know, there's any number of guys that could potentially come. So, I mean, that's a hard question for me even just to narrow down because it feels like... New Japan Strong is this uh, one sector where things are open, where people from all walks of life and walks of, you know, um, wrestling, wrestledom, whatever you want to call it, can come and compete, which is kind of cool. I know he has, he's still sitting out his non-compete, but if they can ever make it happen, I would love to see Shane Haste mm. join up with no, uh, Jonah Rock and eventually Mikey Nichols and reunite TMDK. Because while TMDK was big in Noah, two of the three guys are now in New Japan, either whether it's strong or chaos proper. So, Yeah, and we've seen a lot of teases from all three of those guys on Twitter about that unit uh, possibly reforming. Uh, for me, there's this one name that I would love, if I had to just pick one for 2022 that I want to see on strong, and that is Dragon Lee. Oh, I thought you were going to say Brian Danielson. I'm kind of surprised. Well, I'm just thinking of somebody who could realistically be on like multiple episodes and be in programs and, and be in matches. You know, Dragon Lee, he uh, finished up with Ring of Honor, doesn't have any titles there with him anymore. And so he's Bandito a guy. would be another one. Yeah, I would love Bandito. Uh, but, you know, Dragon Lee's a guy, he mainly signed with Ring of Honor because he wanted to stay with New Japan and do the partnership. And so now that Ring of Honor is kind of out of the picture. I don't see why we don't just get Dragon Lee on strong. Here, here. Uh, then last question here from Wiz Factor. He says, if you could turn heel for a day and overturn one of the fan votes of the Kiss Year and Awards with your own pick, which vote would it be? Well, I'm a heel every day, sir. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would I would change the tag team of the year. I agree. I would change tag team of the year, give it to a Chaos Trio. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. See, I'm biased because my, my Rapongi 3K bias will come out because I'll either say that show attacking Yo is going to be the angle of the year or where was the other one or Ren Narita is going to win everything so <laughs> I love I love me some Ren Narita well that is it for the voting thank you guys this year for participating you know 
again, these are reference guides for you guys to take a look at and uh, pay attention to. It's not just solely about the winners, but it mostly is. So uh, thank you for, you know, helping us decide who those winners were. These, uh, you know, awards, they get listened to by everybody. And there are people out there that know about it and hear about it. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's a good um, gauging mark for the Western audience and for the viewership or the audience of this podcast. So thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys for voting. Now we're going to move on here to our review of the world tag league and best of the super junior finals that happened last yeah. Wednesday, December 15th. Have you noticed with me being sick, I'm making up more words than usual tonight. <laughs> no, I'm like, I- Miss- I'm like misusing and like just making stuff up. It's cause I'm like, I can't find the words. So I'm just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about uh, the finals here from World Tag League and Best of the Super Juniors last Wednesday, December 15th. We're going to run through the results here and focus our time in on the finals for both tournaments. And we'll cover any angles that happen in the uh, undercard matches here. So show opened up. We had the Suzuki-Gun trio of Doki, Suzuki, and Taka defeating Fujita, Taguchi, and Yuto Nakashima. Six minutes and seven seconds. I would like to say uh, Minoru Suzuki put a serious beating on Yuto Nakashima. I mean, like, for real, for real serious. Yeah, he did. <laughs> he laid hands on that boy. Uh, second matchup, we had Bullet Club's cutest tag team, El Phantasmo and Taiji Ishimori, defeating Rehoi Oiwa and Tiger Mask. A quick two minutes and 31 seconds uh, after the match here, ELP hit sudden death on Nakashima, but then Robbie Eagles came out to make the save. Um, then the Eagle starts getting overwhelmed by Taguchi, by uh, Ishimori, and Phantasma. But then Taguchi comes back out to make the save. But then he attacks um, Tiger Mask and Eagles, and he grabs the titles and you know claim. And he joined the Bullet Club. <laughs> Everything came full circle. Uh, no, I, for a second I was like, "What the heck has happened?" But no, he was just making his claim for the junior titles. He wants to be the 69th. Uh, junior tag team champion and he said mega coaches so in which we learned that you know rocky romero will be in japan to team up with taguchi to challenge for these junior tag titles yeah fuck your wato (laughs) (laughs) one of the things i loved about that post-match beatdown was when robbie eagles like ran in he like he like just slid like i don't know where he came from um, but he just like slid into the into the frame i was like oh there he goes that's (laughs) how uh that's how it was that time when Harold May ran down to the ring, too. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that Taguchi and Rocky can do the thing. Mm. Maybe. It, I, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. It's Wrestle get, Kingdom. Anything's possible. Yeah. Well, I'll we'll dream see. big. <laughs> uh, so our next matchup here, we had a Sugun team of El Sparado, Tai Chi, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr., Defeating uh, Great Bash Heel, Togemakabe, and Tomioka Hanma, Master Wato, and Toro Yano. So towards the end of this match here, uh, Saber had Hanma in a submission, and Kanemaru spat the Satori Surprise Whiskey at Yano to stop him from making the save. And uh, they are setting up an angle here to do Yano versus Kanemaru for the KOPW Trophy in the, the, what is it, the, the year-end party match, whatever it is. We'll talk about that uh, here in a second. I haven't even looked at those cards. I'm going to learn what is on those those cards. There was one today. I didn't even watch it, but I'm going to, but I don't even I don't even know what's on those row 2 shows. <laughs> uh so then moving on, we had Hiroshi Tanahashi 
Tenkoji and Yuji Nagata defeating the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa. Uh, this was pretty much um, kind of a placeholder to uh, heat up Tanahashi's feud uh, with Kenta, which after the match we got, uh, the lights went out and we got a video package from Kenta um, who says he wants uh, a no DQ match with uh, Tanahashi. And Tanahashi obliged as he is the, uh, you know, baby face. So it's on. Yeah. Uh, then after that match, we had the Shibata announcement. Uh, he comes out uh, very quick and just pretty much says that he's going to be wrestling at, at January 4th. So uh, short, sweet, and to the point. Huge moment here. We got a, a Shibata comeback match for the first night in the Dome. Yeah, we'll talk more about that here when we talk about the cards. But uh, I got emotional seeing him walk out in the suit, and I was like, "Oh, it's it's really happening! I can't believe this." <laughs> My only concern about when he walked out in the suit was that when he wrestled Zach, he said, "The next time I stand in this ring, I will be in my full gear." So when he came out in his suit, I was like, "Oh God, no! <laughs> he's, he's he's gonna say he's retiring permanently." Mm. Like so, so to get the op- the complete opposite of, the, of him having a match was like, I was like. Like such a weight was like lifted off of my whole entire being. <laughs> I thought he was going to walk out and say that he was the authority. <laughs> you got he's, no chance. He's the new GM of. I, I am no, the new the, owner the... of the IWGP. <laughs> I've been elected as chairman of the IWGP board. <laughs> Shibata would strip a title. Just saying. Dude, Shibata. Fake, fake title nonsense. Shibata would get rid of uh, House of Torture. By himself, <laughs> barehanded. Take note, Obari. <laughs> uh, He's on Twitter now. Yeah. Uh, next match up here, we have the LIJ team of Sonata and Naito defeating the United Empire team of Great Ocon and Jeff Cobb, accompanied with Aaron Hanare, nine minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, so Naito kind of got a quick uh, flash pin here on Cobb, and then uh, post-match, Cobb tried to beat down Naito, but Naito outsmarted him again. So as we learned, we're getting uh, Naito and Cobb, and we're going to get Great Ocon versus Sonata coming out from this match here. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> well, Sonata and Ocon? Which, which one? Sonata and Ocon, it's going to be a banger, you know? <laughs> uh, sure. They might they might surprise us. You never know. Yeah, well, hopefully Ocon will get that man Sonata motivated. <laughs> Uh, so the next up here, uh, we have the Chaos team of Kazuchika Okada and Robbie Eagles defeating the LIJ team of Bushi and Shingo Takagi. So this is one of many previews uh, to set up the January 4th title match between Okada, Okada and Shingo. Um, great interactions, obviously, between those guys and looking forward to the January 4th match. Yeah, it's fine. Now, here we go to the, the two big matches here. So first, uh, semi-main event, we had the World Tag League 2021 final match. We had the Chaos team, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, defeating House of Torture, Evil, and Yujiro, 19 minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, Karen, you want to start us off? What are your thoughts on this matchup here? Um. Well, I mean, Dick Togo has had an outstanding World Tag League. He, <laughs> he worked very hard, and he's the MVP of House of Torture because his bo- he managed to get his boys to the finals. Um, <laughs> uh, personally, I was hoping for 
Goto and Yoshihashi to win. So I'm glad that they did because for the longest time, I was fairly certain they were going to get them all the way to the finals and pull a Sonata and put the, and make House of Torture win it. So it was actually good to see that outcome and knowing that it would have ramifications on the dome as well. Yeah, we uh, we spent you know an exhaustive amount of time talking about the build to this match and you know our thoughts about the final two teams last week. So you know I don't need to rehash all that, but the match itself, I would call it uneven at best um, because there would be these periods where when they were actually just wrestling the teams act did seem to have some level of chemistry with one another and work well and have good sequences. And I was like, okay, this match is not that bad, but it was so bogged down by persistent levels of cheating all throughout the match. And it just kept going and kept happening. And like, I don't know, man, we've talked about it time and time again, but like this amount of, cheating that's allowed to kind of persist and and occur in new japan and not just within the company any day but in tournament finals it it seems to be something that really undermines the credibility of the refereeing within the company and the management of the company and i know they're trying to get heat on the heels and make the baby faces look like they're overcoming the odds but in this environment, it just doesn't work when it when the crowd can't even boo, they can't even audibly react anyways, and us, the viewers at home, are just not, I don't know, it's not amusing for most people that I've talked to. I don't know anyone that really is into this house of torture stuff, and it's just kind of reaffirmed why I don't like this group and why I didn't want them in the finals here. Um, good on Goto and Yoshihashi for winning. Um, they wouldn't have been my first pick to go to the finals but um you know they got the the job done they debuted a new finisher which i thought was really cool but it it just felt like cheating and cheating and cheating and cheating and cheating and cheating and they won and i just know somewhere down the line they're gonna have to give one back to this team in like six months which i'm not really wanting to or probably at don taco or some crap like that so yeah it just felt like this is um maybe one of the lower end of world tag league finals i can recall seeing in like the last decade i i did like that when uh chaos beat techers taichi basically grabbed yoshihashi by the head and said i better see you at wrestle kingdom don't let our loss to you guys go to house of torture (laughs) so it, it that very small nuanced layer made made it feel better but i completely agree about how cheating undermines tournaments that was the problem i had with both super j cups that elp won and it's and it's been it's it's hard as a fan of watching these leagues and seeing other wrestlers in the same factions who are even heel wrestle a rather clean tour comparatively speaking and then having to sit here and watch and be like you know god was right there and they wrestled fairly clean throughout the entire thing I know that they're trying to push House of Torture to the moon because they're wildly popular in Japan. But it's it's frustrating to watch because it's one of those... I knew the moment that 
Chaos won this match, that the outcome for the other match was not going to be what I wanted or was, <laughs> was going to be exactly how I expected. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to get invested in these matches and in a big final when you know the cheating is coming. So instead of just, like, watching the match and trying to enjoy the match, you're just kind of sitting here, you know, on the edge of seat, just kind of waiting, like, all right, when's the cheating going to come? When's Togo going to pop in? What kind of, when's the ref bump coming? Like, you're you're just waiting for the BS to happen instead of just kind of enjoying the good match, especially when you're seeing it happen every single match of the tour. I don't think there was one House of Torture match that didn't have any kind of cheating and interference, and I get it. They want every city to see it. They're trying to establish this thing, uh, but it just it's just hard to invest in, especially for a big tournament of finals. You know, we, we talked about this. I can't remember what we talked about. We talked about like the, the Bullet Club final uh, where it was uh, Jay White and Ibushi, and Jay White came out uh, with all the Bullet Club down even before the match started red she was like no 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 none of it like send the whole crew back and so like you mentioned josh i think it makes the referees uh look dumb or in the, in the past we've seen them you know use their authority to uh get rid of heel factions at the beginning of a match and now they're just kind of letting stuff happen we're seeing ref refs getting hit and pulled out and um there's no disqualification there's no reprimands um, you know, there's no kind of punishment for, you know, there's no really comeuppance for this. You know, you, you build heat, but you, you get heat so that there's some kind of upcomments or payoff. And there really isn't with House of Torture. Yeah, I mean, the thing with cheating is like there's a time, there's a place for it. There's a time and a place for, you know, an overabundance for it. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't ever, ever have that sort of thing. But like, for instance, like you mentioned, you're in a tournament and every single night this team has cheated and it's become apparent to like anyone with half a brain that's watching the tournament. Um, maybe at the end of the tournament, the referee should, like you mentioned, alluding to the Jay White Kotobushi final, maybe kick out the second that's cheating the whole time, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm not even saying they couldn't necessarily come back and maybe cheat later. I'm not advocating for that either, but at least like let the referee have a brain or something. The other thing too is like when you cheat all the time, the whole, one of the ideas of it is to get heat. But if, if that's just your MO and that's just what you do, eventually it's meaningless. And eventually it has the opposite effect of what you're intending. And that's why one of the big reasons why people are not really feeling house of torture whatsoever, because of the matches are bad. And you can't really get us invested emotionally if the matches are just consistently bad. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, I mean, that's that's the problem there. I mean, I'm glad to see these guys won. I did like their new finisher. I thought the new finish was cool, but, geez, I could have done without this match. Yeah. Uh, we did have uh, we looked at the Dick Togo pulling the ref out when he was counting towards three, and they were – Got the girl wire out, but then Ishii came out to make the save and help go to Yoshihashi. And it seemed like the crowd was really into uh, Ishii coming out to make the save. And we learned that that's going to set up a never title match between Ishii and Evil. And then, like you mentioned, Josh, Goto and Yoshihashi hit their new uh, finisher. I believe it was the Super uh, Shoto. Uh, And they got the win here. And they are the World Tag League 2021 tournament winners. Uh, The one one good thing that comes out of that is them debuting a new finisher means that they're more of a threat come Wrestle Kingdom time. Yeah. 
Uh, so we had two questions here. First from Reddit user Piero Poppy says, do you think the face factions helping their friends from House of Torture shenanigans will be a new normal, or will faces only save their friends when it's convenient for the story? Um, I wouldn't expect it, you know, just because that's never really been how, ha- I mean, that would completely undo the whole point of bad guys having other bad guys cheat for them. If you just always have smart baby faces, even up the odds, they're always going to win. So that would be kind of pointless, even though it makes sense. Logically wrestling doesn't always logically make sense, (laughs) but um, yeah, I I think that's the answer. I think when it's convenient for the story is when you're going to see it happen. Right. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Karen. What I was going to say is that during Sho and Yo's uh, match on the last night, seeing Goto and Yoshihashi, somebody from Chaos finally coming out and getting involved, it was like long overdue because, you know, Okada, he's not doing anything right now. He's just hanging around. I haven't seen him run in. Nor but, should you know, he. He's Okada. He's too big for that. <laughs> if you're the leader, you should at least be pr- present. I mean, Shingo, our champion, was at ringside on commentary. So it's one of those things where it was like, it was good to see them run in and for, you know, Goto to drag not just one of them, but both Evil and Dick Togo out by their, their necks. So it's it's one of those things where it's re- it's refreshing, but I think it was just, we were so burnt out on the same heel tactics, like the formulaic nature of it, where again, like Josh said, it was like the ref... They've had ample opportunity to throw yeah. Dick Togo out throughout this entire tournament, and mm-hmm. they haven't. It him being there, he walks in with his weapon draped around his neck. You know he's not <laughs> there. Like if, if there is ever a red flag, it's that right there. Right, doesn't even they, ha- they walk hide in with it. their weapons. <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, like you mentioned, guys, I think it's gonna be convenient for the story. But the one thing that they they do try to write it off kind of like with like Lij, where like the guys are like, well, we kind of want to win it on our own. We don't want you know, it's kind of a pride thing they want to do by themselves and not people running in. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would make more sense to have you know guys kind of ready waiting for the the interference. Uh, so moving on here to the next question from Dom Homie One on One. Thoughts on Yoshihashi achieving his boyhood dream of winning a tag league? Will he add some gold to his trophy? Um, I'm starting to think that there is a, a distinct possibility that uh, Yoshihashi could be a tag team champion in the near future, which, you know, that's saying a lot. And I think that a lot of that is coming off the heels of their successful, never open weight six man tag team title reign. So, yeah, I think it's definitely possible. Um, congratulations. You know, Goto's obviously won the Tag League multiple times in the past, but uh, first time ever for Yoshihashi, which is pretty cool. It just makes me wonder if now that Zach and uh, Taichi are the, uh, was it the Tokyo Sports Tag Team of the Year, mm-hmm. if that's going to come into play, especially with, the two of them are with Yoto, Yoto, Yoshihashi and Goto having the never six man match the next night. I just don't, I don't just don't, I don't see them winning double gold and I don't see them wrapping the tag titles into the never six man spiral because I always hate double gold dashes. Yeah, but that's kind of been the MO we've seen with pretty much all the titles, the never six man tag, the junior tag and junior title 
that these titles that are have multiple divisions have kind of been linked together. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them do that. But uh, I would like you. I don't, I, would, I don't want that. I think the titles should be separate. I think they could do different programs without having to mix both the titles together. But I definitely do think that Yoshihashi does have a strong chance of him and Goto uh, winning. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Tekers are going to win. Uh, but we'll give our official predictions on all Wrestle Kingdom matches next week. We'll have uh, Chris Samsa joining us, and we will go through each match, give our official predictions and preview. Uh, so now let's move on to the main event of this show, and it was for the Best of the Super Junior Finals. Hiromu Takahashi defeats Yo. 38 minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, Karen, what do you think about this matchup? Sorry, I had to eat something, so I was just trying to inhale an Oreo <laughs> when you <laughs> asked me this. Um, I really wish they would have started Yo in the tournament strong, having him pull a Sonata and drop the first four before running the table all the way to the final. I think, I know the story that they were trying to tell with it, but it also made me feel like regardless of what happens, especially when he lost to Hiromu in the first match in less than four minutes, that no matter, even if he made it to the final, he wasn't going to win the final, especially if it was going to be Hiromu. Mm. Um, I think this is the yo I've been waiting to see since he came back in February of this year. Um, I am optimistic that maybe perhaps next year might be his year as a result because he finally put some people on notice. And uh, I, I, I did slip Josh a receipt for uh, <laughs> saying that people needed to come back to him after Yo has a four and a quarter star match. And, you know, this one was ranked at, at four and three quarters. But um, I personally, I was very emotionally invested, not just because of it being the best in Super Juniors final, but, you know, Yo and Show are my favorites. It gets a little complicated with the way they handled the... Um, the involvement of show in the match, but I, I have, while some people may disagree with it, I understand why they did it because one, they're going to have the grudge match Two, If Yo's going to lose, he shouldn't lose clean again. If they want to make him a credible baby face moving forward, because this division has literally no baby faces besides Wato, Taguchi and Hiromu. Um, it's, it's hard because with the Japanese crowd being unable to boo or jeer or really voice any semblance of an opinion during a match, the eight minutes of shows showboating and ruining the world for everybody, it, if I mean, you could hear a pin drop in that venue. And it, I know that if they if it was in front of like say for example if it was here in the states and it was in front of a crowd that could actually boo and like lose their minds they would have mm -hmm. but just the dead air it comes like the dead air reaction because you know they're they're abiding by the rules in order to have that particular show many people perceive it as disinterest or you know being annoyed that yes again Show didn't show up in the tag meeting, uh, tag match, so of course he's going to try to do something to ruin the final because he didn't, you know, he started dropping losses after a, starting off strong and cheating the whole entire time. So it's one of those things where I wish beyond all that that match could have been in front of an audience that could react to it because I feel like that one portion, even though it added to the match time, if it was in front of a group that could react to it, it would have 
added more feeling and not be like, oh, here we go again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Young boy, your thoughts? Um, so I will start off by saying that I was a little a little little bit harsh on yo last week on the show i dragged him maybe a little bit too much (laughs) um but i don't take back anything i said maybe just the spirit in which i said it and um but part of it's because as much as i like i do like showing yo but i love the prestige of the super juniors tournament even more so and uh I didn't necessarily know if I felt like Yo was ready for that stage. Um, and I don't, and I don't even blame him. I don't know kind of like what Karen had mentioned. I don't know if they built him to that uh, stage properly, gave him the right platform to get there. And um, I don't think that the matches he were, he was having in the tournament leading up to this were building enough credibility and belief in him to really be a credible winner, you know? It did remind me a little bit uh, how Sonata looked and felt going into the tournament finals against uh, Kota Bushi uh, last year. That being said, this is undoubtedly easily the best final or just the best singles match of Yo's entire career. So I will agree there. Um, do I agree with Dave Meltzer thinking it's four and three quarters? Eh, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but I do think we probably have our match of the tournament most likely. Um, it's probably either this or Hiromu versus Despi from earlier in the tournament. And um, I don't know if I'm as high on as everyone else on it. I felt like the match, and it, this is kind of in similar fashion to last year's final. I felt like it was good up until the pivotal moment. In this case, the pivotal moment being shows interference, which I've seen. Some, I've seen both sides of it. I've seen some people that are in favor of it. And then a lot of people that are negative on it. I think the big problem with it is that you combine it with everything else that House Torture has been associated with. And not just them, but the company as a whole. How much this company has really kind of become a heat-seeking promotion with the run-ins and everything else we've talked about. It's just been overdone to a wide degree where earlier when I mentioned if you do it so often, pretty soon none of it really matters. There, there could be an argument that this could have mattered if it was like – let me give you an, a for instance. There's a famous time during the uh, Tag League Finals in 1981 on the All Japan side when Stan Hansen defected and people were like, holy crap, he left New Japan. It was a big, big, big deal. And in the middle of the match, he lariats uh, one of the Funk brothers. I don't remember who. I think Terry. And – lays him out and then at that point dory is left to the whims of bruiser brody and uh, jimmy snooker and they lose ultimately because of his uh interaction and like cheating like that was not common in all japan and considering who did it and how they did it it was like this huge legendary moment to this day pearl fans still talk about it it's not that different from what show really did if you think about it the difference is the context of it and it was something where people want to shit on it so bad because it's just like, oh man, like more of this. You know what I mean? So, I mean, there is a time and place where you can do something like that and have it mean something and to really get it over. Um, and it, it kind of brought the, the match to a standstill. 
On the flip side, after that, both guys seem to be wrestling with more urgency and really a higher level of selling to where it did kind of elevate the match in a weird way. So I don't know. It, it, it's kind of that that same argument from the triple threat from WrestleMania a few years ago when when Seth Rollins interfered. Like it kind of detracted from the match, but it also kind of made the match more exciting and better. So you know, I I, I guess it depends on your opinion. I'm one where I don't personally want to see that sort of interaction in the final of a best of the super junior, which I think is one of the two or three big, like most prestigious like tournaments that are out there. That being said, the end of this match was incredible. Um, There was a dragon suplex from yo that I bid on and I was like, Oh shit, he did it, (laughs) (laughs) which he didn't. But uh, they had some really, really, really awesome interactions at the end to where like, I wasn't feeling the match. They brought me around. I'm probably somewhere between four and a quarter and four and a half on this, which is like very, very, very good. Um, I was torn a little bit because there's the part of me that like was like they went with Hiromu again, which is like that's to be expected. It's like, yay, we're getting him in Desperado. But then it's like, uh, we're getting the same old. Then it's like, uh, I didn't think Yo was ready, but maybe they should have took a chance on him. And I was like kind of conflicted there. I didn't really know how to feel. And I think that's how I felt the whole tournament because it, it's a single block tournament. Everyone fought, you know what I mean? Like just all the all the same issues we've talked about this whole time. So, I mean, th- that's kind of my assessment overall on on the match as a whole you know oh one other thing too i think that new japan if if we are not gonna turn the corner on this uh pandemic and we're gonna continue to have crowds that can't cheer they need to change their working style and big house matches because a lot of what was happening at the end of this match while it was awesome it it's all designed to elicit big pops and major crowd reactions and they can't and because they can't we're grading the match based off of either how we're reacting at home by ourselves or by how we think a crowd might have reacted had they been allowed to react and instead they we don't know it's all hypothetical whereas like not that i watch it as much but you compare it to the way noah's working style changed over the course of the pandemic it's it's totally different thing you know Mm -hmm. so yeah, uh, both of you guys had a lot of similar thoughts uh, to me on this matchup. Uh, the one thing I will say about your comment on the reaction, Josh, is that there there were a lot of gasping uh, towards the end, though. They, they they knew they couldn't cheer, but those were there were some like two point nine nine near falls in, in that closing stretch, like the dragon suplex you mentioned, uh, the five star clutch, which is Yo's like big like uh, wacky roll up uh, finisher move. Um, there was a time bomb, one uh, kick out. There were so many great near falls at the end where the crowd, the crowd, they had to get gas because they were so close. Hiromu's, uh, Hiromu's new pin that he yes, gave you, the one the, that the Hiromu roll up or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. whatever. That's literally the Hiromu roll up. Yeah, is that what's called? Just the Hiromu roll up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Hiromu's <laughs> call... like, I don't know what to call it, so just the Hiromu roll up. I'm gonna call it the H clutch. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there were so many great uh, near falls to bite at the end and the crowd reactions there. Um, again, we talked about it last week also with Yo's run in the tournament. Uh, I get we we normally get that kind of booking where one guy starts cold and the guy gets hot and the guy gets cold, gets hot again at the end. But the fact that Yo's never been in this position, I felt like he had a better job establishing him at the beginning. Maybe you have the middle of his tournament be where he loses and then he comes back again at the end. 
instead of him just losing straight in the beginning and then coming back. Uh, I think they, they did a big disservice for him there um, and not making him look strong enough. And, um, you know, I was not a big fan of the show interference. Uh, but it's like you said, Josh, you know, it was just we get so much of the cheating of the house of torture stuff throughout the tour and the tournament. Like it didn't make that special. You know, if we had a fine attack final with no house of torture and we had no cheat, if we, we literally just the match before literally just had to deal with the house of torture shenanigans and then control C control V copy and paste right into the finals. It's like, come on, like give us one, give us a, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do it, Give us a one good final. You, there were several other teams you could have put in there to go against Goto and Yoshihashi uh, to give us. You could you could have threw God in there, and um, they weren't. You know, they're not having anything planned. Like they could have gone to the finals. You could have beat God since they're not going to be at Wrestle Kingdom. Um, give us one good final, and then do your shenanigans in the Super Junior final. But they gave us the shenanigans there and the final. We got shenanigans in both of their matches throughout the whole tour. So it was just really kind of overkill. And so you get to the point there where show comes out. It's like, come on. And he's, you know, talking about it's going to be a no contest and blah, 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 blah. So that, that really kind of hurt the match for me because I thought everything before show's interference was very good. Then after the interference, like you mentioned, Josh, they really kicked it up uh, another level. And that, that last closing stretch of all the near falls and big move exchanges uh, was really, really awesome. And I, I think this could have been, you know, closer to what Dave rated it if there was no show interference. I, I was going to also agree about the, had the tag match not had House of Torture in it or some cheating of some kind, I would have probably been a little more okay with it. But then I also understand that they were using show in this particular instance to set up Wrestle Kingdom. Like him getting, you know, conspicuously being absent, it was either, you know, most people were like, is he showing up in the tag match or the or the main event? Like that was, it was everyone was on show watch basically. Yeah. But it's the the, fr- the frustrating thing about the booking in that particular sense is that show doesn't have any reparations. He doesn't get one, not two. He gets three Wrestle Kingdom matches out of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like like. You, you tried to ruin the tournament, but we're gonna let you have this, this, and this. Like it, it's, it's just, it's just weird to me. Yeah. Uh, we have hey, to... players gotta play. <laughs> I mean, the boys getting paid, but I can't be mad at that. Uh, I had a couple questions here. First, from Reddit user PSAN91 says, "What do you think of the show interference in the Roma versus Show match?" Which we just kind of talked about. He says, "I've seen some people online saying it ruined the match for them, but for me, it actually added the drama towards the end of the match." As well, if Yo and Hiromi were exhausted and going all out to win. So we kind of cover our thoughts on that. And he said, a second question, do you think we will see Best Super Junior back in its usual spot in May and June next year on, on English commentary? I know Kevin asked the question directly to Chris, but he was being uh, tight-lipped about it for now. Dude, they don't tell Chris anything. That's not him <laughs> being tight-lipped. That's him pretending he has a little secret. He don't know. Nobody knows. I'm only okay with them putting Super Junior back in May and June if I can get in the country without quarantine so I can go this time. I'm, I've been trying I, to go to the Super Juniors for the last three years and I haven't been able to go. <laughs> I could never say I'm only okay because I would be more than happy. Even if I can't be there, please put this yeah, please put this put tournament back. back in May and June. And please bring, bring some corners. Put the G1 back in the summer. Like we need we need some gaijin talent, like we just do. <laughs> Yeah. Noah's got 20-something juniors. They can borrow some of them. 
I was thinking more like whites and Mexicans, maybe a black, like whatever. <laughs> you know, Leo, Leo Rush. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Kevin Knight. <laughs> Some diversity. I don't know. Um, yeah, and I, I hope it goes two, back two in the blocks. spring. Yeah, two blocks. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I hope the schedule does go back to a little bit normal uh, for this uh, 50th year anniversary. Uh, next question here from EMJ does PR. He says, "Hey guys and Karen, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays." Uh, first question is for Karen. Now that Best of Super Junior is done, how are you feeling about Show and Yo's future? I mean, as the perpetual optimist and always having these boys back, I think their future is still very bright. Um, I feel like maybe as much as I wanted this year to be their year, it, I it's not. Um, I'm. Is, they're hitting their 10 year anniversary next year. So maybe next year's their year. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I did find it interesting that especially Desperado and Hiromu have called out show about being in house of torture and asking him if this is really the kind of wrestling he wants to do is, or is this just the means to an end for the time being? Mm. So I don't know if they're trying to force him to t- the switch back and go back to being a baby face sometime in the future. But, you know, personally, as a fan, healer face, I'm going to support them. They're good guys. They work hard. They're doing, they, you know, everyone calls them like the solid mid-card guys because they're doing, you know, they're always the ones eating the pins in all these different matches. But I feel like maybe New Japan is finally starting to give them the platform and that maybe next year might be very bright for them. Awesome. Well, that is going to do it for our coverage of World Tag League Best Super Junior Final. Uh, we're going to move on. This past week, the Wrestle Kingdom cards were dropped for all three nights. Uh, we were first made privy to nights one and two, which will be the fourth and the fifth in conjunction with one another. And then just a few days ago, they dropped all of the announced matches for night three on the eighth, the Noah versus New Japan show. Um, I'm going to run through the matches real quick then we're going to just have general broad uh discussion we do still have a preview show coming up so we're not going to get too deep into it but we have some questions here um so on night one we have a pre-show new japan rambo match it looks like the top four guys at the end of that will be you know in a four-way match the next night to determine the new provisional champion uh, first match of the night on night one after that, the main card, show versus Yo, grudge match. Third match of the night, we have Tanahashi and the Mega Coaches teaming up to take on the Bull Club team of El Fantasmo, Kenta, and Taiji Shimori. Fourth match of the night, we have the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito taking on the United Empire team of Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay. Fifth match of the night, we have Katsuri Shibata versus Unannounced, so it still remains to be seen who he's going to be wrestling. Uh, we do have a couple quick questions here. Fit underscore beautiful 2638 said, who would be your pick for Shibata's opponent? Ibushi, Suzuki, or Nagata? Personally, I'd go with Nagata, give Ibushi more time to get himself healthy. What do you guys think? Did you go first, Karen? Uh, I, I said this on Twitter. I want a young lion gauntlet. I want all the LA Dojo guys that trained with Shibata these last four years to go at him one at a time. So Fredericks, Coughlin, Connors, Ren Narita, Uemura, DKC, Kevin Knight, every single one of them, even if it's like a two minute, two minute per person, 
and they all you know eventually get pinned by him i just feel like the la dojo has been so integral in his continued love for pro wrestling and then his i can guarantee with all the time he spent with them he's been training with them so if it's not if it and if, if it's not going to be zach it should be one of the one of the la dojo guys jeremy yeah, um, you know, obviously Kota Ibushi is missing here, and we don't know the update on his uh, recovery from his shoulder injury, but I would think that would probably be the, probably the number one pick, in, at least in the office of mine, is to do Ibushi versus uh, Shibata. Uh, that, that is kind of a big match to do with no bill, though, so I'm not sure if they would do that, but obviously is uh, a big star, and if he can wrestle, you go with that. If not Ibushi, I think uh, Suzuki, Nagata, Kojima, he had fused with third generation dad. I think any one of those guys would be a good option. Um, Dom Homie 101 also has thoughts on who will be the first sacrifice. Um, I mean, opponent for the wrestler Katsuri Shibata. So I think you guys have kind of answered that. Um, I agree with you guys. Um, some other names that are sort of out there that I don't know if they've really been considered aside from like Suzuki and the new Japan guys, Obviously, they instead of a gauntlet, they could always bring over maybe say like Ren Narita or um, uh, Gabe Kidd, like you mentioned, one of the LA Dojo type guys. That's a possibility. Um, there is also the possibility it could be an outside person. Like I know Kazushi Sakuraba with mm. the Noah connection. That's another person. They've got a, a lengthy history with one another. That's a possibility. Um, the reality is we don't know who it is right now, but um, I mean – um, I would be surprised. I would be opposed to Nagata, you know? Yeah. So, um, sixth match of the night, we have the never open weight title on the line. Tomohiro Ishii defending the title against evil seventh match of the night. The IWGB tag team titles are on the line as the dangerous techers defend the titles against the team of Goto and Yoshihashi, the world tag league finalists. Um, eighth match of the night, the IWGB junior heavyweight title will be on the line as the champion El Desperado defends against Hiromu Takahashi. And then the main event will be Shingo Takagi defending the IWGP World Heavyweight title against Kazushika Okada. On night two, we open up with a junior heavyweight tag team title match. Flying Tiger team of Eagles and Tiger Mask will defend against the Mega Coaches and Book Club's cutest tag team in a three-way uh, second match of the night, there will be a stardom showcase tag team match as Mayu, Iwatani, and Starlight Kid defend against Saya Kamatani and Tam Nakano. This will be aired for the first time from the Tokyo Dome, so that's very exciting. Third match of the night, the NJPW King of Pro Wrestling title four-way match, so the final four finalists of the Rambo from the night before will be in that match. Fourth match of the night, the Never Open Weight six-man tag team titles will be on the line as the House of Torture, Evil Show, and Yujiro defend against Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi from Chaos. Fifth match of the night, Sonata will wrestle Great Okana in a singles match. Sixth match, we have Naito against Jeff Cobb in a singles match. The semi-main event will be uh, for the IWGB US title as Kenta defends the belt against Tanahashi in a no-disqualification match. And then the eighth match of the night in the main event it will we will see the winner of the main event from night one come in as the champion so either shingo or okada and defend that title against will osprey and we had some questions here jeremy yeah so first here from reddit user less commission 7252 do you guys believe that whoever walks out of wrestling kingdom 16 with the iwgb world heavyweight championship kota abushi will come back and be the next challenger 
he has sole purpose of facing either of the three men. I think it's uh, definitely a a possibility. I'm not going to say it's a likelihood, but it's a possibility. He's got history with all three of those guys. So, again, I think it just hinges on whether or not he's medically cleared, because you know they were they gave him a two month uh, recovery time, but injuries are not mechanics, so it does take time and it may it may take longer for him to heal up. Um, do I think he's the automatic next challenger no but he would be probably in the conversation purely because of how he went out in the g1 yeah i don't think i would throw him uh back in the title picture so soon i think he needs to kind of rebuild maybe get some non-title feuds going first and then build him back up to the title picture i think the the winner of Cobb and naito the winner there is going to be the next challenger yeah, it's a smart way to go. I mean, very often they have a de facto number one contender match. They don't always call it that, but it ends up being the, the case. So, I mean, that's a possibility. Um, so, yeah. Uh, they, they also ask, if Aroma leaves Wrestle Kingdom 16 with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, do you see it as his last reign as champion and move on to the heavyweights the same way Osprey moved up to heavyweights after winning the Best of Super Junior and then winning the Junior Belt also? Let's see. For me... Honestly, at this point, Hiromu, in my mind, is above the Junior Heavyweight Championship because he's held it several times, and he's won Best of the Super Juniors three times. There really isn't much more for him to do as the champion in the Juniors. I personally would like to see him go open weight, so then he could still wrestle the Juniors, but also fight guys like he did when he was in the New Japan Cup and went almost to the finals. Um, Is it time that he graduates? Not until they build up other people in that division to be on his level in terms of popularity if they were able to get yo and show and wato remotely as popular as romo then yes it's his time personally i think he's beyond it but that's just me but i know he also wants to win the junior tag belts with bushi before he goes heavyweight should that be an option for him um you know, this opinion, um, I like the idea that um, Karen threw out there of him going open weight. You know, the idea that without having to add the extra pounds to his frame and, you know, add that extra muscle, because that's really what most of the guys that we've seen recently, like Abushi, Kenny, you know, um, Osprey. I guess, Osprey. I guess Shingo didn't really have to, but he that's because he was already kind of a juggernaut. <laughs> <laughs> but those guys all had to kind of expand their frame to be able to go up. Um, and honestly, I don't see that for Hiromu. I don't think he's got the build for it, but he's got the personality. The, he's got the, you know, fan investment, and he's got the wrestling style to compete with the the heavyweight guys, even if he isn't physically a heavyweight. I think that would necessitate him having to declare himself an open weight challenger, which that would be a radical departure from the traditions of the company. But at the same time, him going heavyweight would be a radical departure from what they've been booking him to do anyway. So either way, it's going to require a change. My feeling, if I was just a betting man, is that Hiromu probably never goes heavyweight I don't think he really has the build for it the way other people have. 
the only historical um, comparison we have for someone his size going to heavyweight is Jushin Thunder Liger. And I know this is a very different company in 2021 than it was in 1996, but they didn't book Liger to be an overcomer or a champion or a success in any sense of the term when he went to heavyweight, like he kind of lost all the time. And then even, even after he like packed on the pounds and like made himself muscular, they made him go back to junior and he's now seen as being the most successful junior of all time. And I kind of think that that's sort of where they see Hiromu. I think Hiromu because of his size is going to ultimately be in that same vein as being one of the, you know, one day when people talk about juniors in this company, they're going to talk about Tiger Mask, Liger, and Hiromu Takahashi. Like, those are the three guys. Um, do I do I think he could ever be a heavyweight? If they change their philosophy, yes. But I don't think he has the frame to fit in the narrative of what the company sees and how they traditionally book things. I just don't see it. Yeah, it's, it's really going to come down to what's going on in the, in the booking room and the booker's decision. Cause I do think like you mentioned, Josh, with the personality and the character and the popularity, I think Hiromu has the drawing ability to be a main eventer. Um, but I uh, kind of like that. You mentioned carrying the whole open way thing. Cause then you could still throw him in like a never title match. You can put him in the G one and kind of experiment how he does as a heavyweight and see again, how his popularity matches up against some of the heavyweights um, but like we talked about, like you just mentioned, Karen, the junior division has been centered around Hiromu uh, the last couple of years now. And with guys like Osprey and Chingo moving heavyweight, Kushida going to WWE, and just a lot of the top guys. And we've had no new guys just being able to come in. Like, it's been Hiromu's show, um, you know, that we've seen them kind of push El Desperado. We're seeing his popularity go up, and he's a champion right now. It's going to be a big rematch. So honestly, I think this title match is going to be more about Desperado than it is Hiromu. Um, I think they're really going to try and set Desperado up to kind of be elevated to that next kind of star level. But until you start elevating more guys, it's going to be a very hard decision to move Hiromu out of the junior division, especially when you talk about, you know, a best of Super Junior Tour is going back to being a solo tour in May. You got to put somebody in those main events. And even as junior champion, they did not put Desperado in a lot of the main events in this tour this past uh, December. It, they put Hiromu in a lot of those main events. So it's going to be, it's all about business. What are they going to do for that solo tour? Uh, next question here. Uh, he says, if Dangerous Checkers loses the belt at WrestleMania 16, do you guys see them going back to singles action and taking a break from the tag division? Um, since we're going a little long, just to keep it shorter, yes, I see them. If they lose, I think they go back to singles for now. Think, I want to see Zach Saber. I want to see Zach Saber Jr. with the singles belt. Yeah, I think Zach, after his work this year, um, definitely deserves to have a single title. I would love to see him. I think he would be a great world champion at some point. Uh, Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? It says, who was most likely to leave lose the belt on their first defense in the dome? Ishi, Kenta, Desperado, Flying Tiger, or House of Torture? Um, I think Flying Tiger are the most likely but i think there's a good likelihood that kenta drops the belt what do you think karen uh flying tiger because robbie eagles is going back to australia house of torture because i think show is probably losing his match at the no show (laughs) 
I'm going to go with Flying Tiger as well. Uh, I just think they're a thrown-together tag team. And also, like you mentioned, with Robbie leaving, uh, makes sense to kind of get the belts on somebody who will be in Japan. Uh, next question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. Who was Karen rooting for for night one between Cho and Yo? I'm rooting for my personal survival. <laughs> <laughs> I love them both. I Win or lose, whoever wins, it's the person who needs it more is Yo. Especially after show ruined his final his chances to win the best of super juniors, so either is fine. I'll make it through. I promise. Next question's here from Rambo. Wait, one thing I do want to say: this will be their third singles match in a pretty short period of time. They need to have a great match. Yes, mm. I agree. I just need Dick Togo to stay away from the match. That's probably well. He might. That that would I hope so. <laughs> uh, next set of questions here from Rambone Slam Pig. What matchup do you think makes the most sense to headline Night Two at Wrestle Kingdom? Which would you rather see? Uh, the main event, which will be for the world title. I I'm, I pretty much always think the world title should. Be I, I think he maybe means should it be Okada Okada versus Osprey or Shingo versus Osprey? Oh, I was like, okay. Um, I don't know. At this point, I, I, I don't have a firm answer on any of it. Um, but what, what would you prefer to see, though? You know, I've been thinking about it, and, like, I think the best matchup in all of wrestling, period, is Shingo versus Osprey, and they've never wrestled in the Dome. So there's that, like, personal side of it where I'm like, that would probably be the most entertaining, and, you know, that's going to be the better match guaranteed. But, I mean, uh, it's hard to complain about getting Okada versus Osprey rematch at the Dome after last year. So, I, I, I mean, it's kind of splitting hairs, you know? Yeah. What do you think, Karen? Personally, I think Osprey and his fake belt should be fighting Shingo on night one. <laughs> and Shingo and Okada should be fighting on night two. But that's just me. I agree. <laughs> I, I, actually, I feel actually, like it's backwards. Actually, it is. personally, I, I think both of those guys, Okada and Osprey, should be fighting each other. For the right to, face Shingo. to fight, fight Shingo. Shingo, I you know. I mean, at this rate, I could get a replica belt and say I'm challenging Shingo Takagi at the dome, and they should give me a match. But what's your record? It doesn't matter. I buy the belt and I say I'm the real champion. Then you know what? That's apparently how this works. Uh, for me, I, I would prefer it uh, Shingo and Osprey on night two. I just think a, a lot of this whole real world champ kind of stems between. Uh, Shingo never beating Osprey at New Japan Cup or Dontaku. And so I think it would be kind of a great comeuppance for Shingo to shut Will up, beat him in the dome, and win the title. But that means if Shingo beats Okada, it'd be like, what, the third time um, within a calendar year that he's beating Okada. I have a hard time seeing him yeah. do that feat. If Shingo beats Okada, then I think Shingo beats Osprey the next night as well. Yeah. If Okada wins, I think it's 50-50 on what happens between him and Osprey at night, too. That's just my opinion. But, um, yeah, I think I – don't, I don't see Shingo going tonight, too, honestly. Uh, next question. Can Ishii overcome evil Dick Togo and House of Torture BS to deliver a captiv- captivating singles match at the Dome? He's sailing against a strong current. I did see a lot of people complaining about him not having singles matches after years and years and years. And I'm like, didn't he wrestle Zack Sabre in a fantastic four-star match just a couple years ago? Did I 
Was that a fever dream? Did that not happen? Did they not have a Red Pro title match? They did, yeah. yeah. They, 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 they had a hell of a Red Pro title match. <laughs> okay. I was just trying to remember. Like, that definitely happened, right? But, um, you know, earlier this past year, I was like, you know, Ishii's the one guy that Evil has good matches with. So maybe, just maybe, they'll have a great match. And then they had one of literally one of the absolute worst matches that evil's had since he turned. So all bets are off when it comes to evil and Ishii. I I have no expectations. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Hopefully like we mentioned, like Rambo's mentioned, if they can limit the house of torture interference and just let those guys actually work, I think it could be a pretty decent match. They, they they choked the optimism out of me a long time ago when it comes to this shit. <laughs> uh, he also asked if Kenta and Saber already booked on the card. Who is Shibata facing on night one? Jay White is missing. Otherwise, is he the choice, or is he just sitting out Wrestle Kingdom this year? Yeah, Jay White's not advertised for the show. I don't know if he's coming over at all. Maybe he will be. We don't know. There there was speculation. Is he staying in the company? It looks like him. And Finjuice are all advertised for the Strong Style Evolved card in March here in Tampa, which would imply they're still going to be with the company. But, you know, who knows if that will be the case? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, personally, I would not pick Jay White as a pick to face Shibata back in his, you know, comeback match. And who knows how many matches he can actually wrestle. I would not, you know, blow a Shibata match on Jay White. No offense to Jay. Uh, I think he's a great worker, but I would much rather. Ibushi or even Nagata, Suzuki, even Kojima over Jay White. If they were going to do Ibushi versus Shibata, I would prefer, this is just personal preference, I would like the controlled uh, aspect of a UWF rules match. Mm. I feel, because, you know, especially if they're going to surprise us with Ibushi, and he's, you know, he also needs to be, you know, considerate of his body, seeing his arm just kind of fell out of the socket a couple of months ago. So I think it, if if that were the case and they were to bring Ibushi, it would probably be a safer match. Because <laughs> I, I love I love Ibushi, but the boy goes a little too hard and often goes, you know, should, he should stop when he doesn't. So it, it's one of those things where I would I would want some kind of caveat on that match, depending on who the opponent is. This is a moment where I've got to vehemently disagree with you because I can't think of many things that would be scarier than a UWFI rules Ibushi K2 murder Ibu. Oh God, that would be a recipe for disaster. Now, now he can't jump off stuff. He only can hit you. Oh, hell no. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Sorry. I did. I didn't think about that. My apologies. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> Uh, uh, next question is here from Dom Homie 101. Thoughts on the lineup for this year's Wrestle Kingdom? Which matches are you looking forward to? Which match could be a show stealer and which match could be a hidden gem? I don't know. Um, I think the lineups look good. Um, I will tell you the truth. I don't think that these are the most exciting lineups for Wrestle Kingdom. I don't want to be total negative, but I mean, when you compare it to like the last five or six years of Wrestle Kingdoms, I don't think these shows stand up. But considering, again, and I feel like I'm always making this caveat over the last years, considering where we're at in this pandemic, I think these are very good shows. Um, 
but you know, there's hardly any matches that we haven't seen or gotten before. I mean, it's a lot of rematches. It's a lot of well-built, but not fresh matches. So that's kind of why like, I'm a little torn. I don't feel that same buzz and excitement for this year's Wrestle Kingdom the way I normally do. Uh, but I am looking forward. I'm looking forward to almost everything on the, sh- on the card and um, on both cards, I suppose. As far as like show stealers, I mean, I think, I think the main event both night, both nights are going to be the best matches of the night because they're both they're they're both going to be like you know match of the year candidates most likely, and uh, I'm most looking forward to seeing who Shibata wrestles and what that you know entails. I don't know. I think the show stealer could possibly be Hiromu Desperado only because they keep fighting to have that second night of Wrestle Kingdom be a juniors uh, head, or junior weight uh, championship match and they keep getting pushed to the semi-main or the opener. Um, the hidden gem, I'm going to throw this out here because I know Josh doesn't watch Stardom, but the, the, the tale of Mayu Iwatani and her three exes is probably the more, most fascinating <laughs> for me because all three of the, her, the other uh, participants in that match have all been understars with Mayu as the leader. And they've all either been poached by a different faction or started their own faction right underneath her nose or <laughs> got traded to another faction after Mayu lost them in a bet. So, But Star- like- Starlight Kid's the leader of stars. No, Starlight Kid is the de facto leader of Oedotai <laughs> because their actual leader is out injured. <laughs> Silly boy. No, yeah. I'm looking forward to that match, actually. There's, it's a very complicated web between all four of those girls. It's, it's very, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, that should be a fun matchup. Uh, for me, I agree with you, Karen. I think the match that could the steal the show could be Desperado and Hiromu, especially with, with the love the Super Juniors match got last year. I think that, that could be a match that a lot of people might like the best out of both nights. The hidden gem, I'm going to go with uh, Jeff Cobb and I was just thinking that. Tetsuya Naito. Um, Cobb has been delivering on big stages this past year. Naito's going to be looking for a big match. You know, he hasn't been on a ton of singles matches this past year. I think both guys are going to be looking to shine here. Yeah, and, you know, who knows? That no-DQ match, I don't know what the parameters are because of COVID and restrictions, but if they if they got crazy enough, they might really deliver something. I mean, you know, because they always have good matches, him and Kenta. So I mean, who knows? Yeah, um, maybe they get maybe they get some ECW spirit. I don't know. <laughs> uh, last question for the two nights here from Reddit user Pussy Destroyer eight three six one nine. What is your most anticipated night at Wrestle Kingdom, and what match are you looking forward to the most? <laughs> <laughs> that's his name we didn't make it uh, up yeah I, I, I don't i don't make these names up uh, i just okay. read them <laughs> um i guess night one is the more anticipated night but i i have this weird feeling night two might just ultimately end up being better on paper i'm not sure but um the match i'm most looking forward to is honestly it's the osprey match because I've never been blown away by the Shingo Okada matches. They've always been very good, but I'm I'm just one of the few people that just don't love them the way everyone else does for whatever reason. Um, and I I think that whoever Osprey ends up wrestling, whether it's Okada or Shingo, that's going to be the match that delivers on the highest level for me. Plus, it's 
the final match on the final night. That's usually the actual, the actual real main event. If if you know what I mean. Yeah. Why you care? Shibata, whoever Shibata's fighting, but I mean, I never thought I would get to see him wrestle live, like on TV in real time once, let alone possibly another lengthy run in the in the company. So, I will say this: I'm not signed anywhere, and I'm I'm free that that week <laughs> you, you, you have to be on a plane like tomorrow if you want to quarantine in time i'm sick i don't know if they'll let me in the country probably not <laughs> especially if you have a fever they're like nope i don't have a fever i just have a cold uh for me night one would probably be the most anticipated night and like you care and i think the shibata match is the thing i'm most looking forward to just because i, I just kind of want to see all right what is it what's he gonna wrestle like now and what are the restrictions? Are they going to do some kind of exhibition? It's going to be more just a regular match kind of thing. So I'm just kind of curious about that whole situation and who he's wrestling and then what that means for his future and future plans for him and the company. Nice. Well, that's going to do it for the first two nights. But night three is a special night. We just got the full card. This is the special Noah X NJPW night three of Wrestle Kingdom. We have... 11 announced matches here. Um, I'm going to try and pronounce all the names correctly. I'm not as familiar. Do you want to do this, Karen? You know I, these names. I can do it. I can give it a go. All right. So the first match is going to be a young boys match between Yasutaku Yano and Kosei Fujita. The second one will be Tenkozi featuring Hiroshi Tenzan and Satoshi Kojima and Yuji Nagata against the Funky Express with Akitoshi Saito, King Tane, and Mohamed Yone. The third match is Atsushi Kotoge versus Sho. Uh, fourth match is Bullet Club with Ghetto and Taiji Ishimori versus Stinger, which is Hayata and Seiki Yoshioka. The fifth match is Suzuki Goon, Doki, and Desperado against Los Perros del Mal de Japón, Nosawa, Rongai, and Yohei. The sixth match is Daiki Inaba, Daisuke Harada, Hajime Ohara, Kinyo Okada, and Yoshiki Inamura versus Chaos, uh, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. With Master Wato and Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, seventh match is Wave, which is Naomichi Marufuji and Yoshinara Ogawa against Suzuki Goon, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. Eighth match is Suzuki Goon, of course, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Taka Michinoku versus Sugiura Goon, Kazushi Sakuraba, and Takashi Sugiura with Kenta. The ninth match is Go Shiozaki and Masa Kitamiya versus House of Torture's Dick Togo and Evil. The tenth match is Hiro, oh, Hiro Yoshi. Oh my gosh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada <laughs> versus Kaito Kiyomiya and Keiji Muto. And then your main event is Los Ingobernables de Japón, Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito versus Kongo, Aleha, Katsuhiko Nakajima, Kano, Manabu, Soya, and Tadasuke. Now, um, real quick, Jeremy, do we know that that <laughs> is in fact the order and the main event? Or is it possible that there is there is a notation on the New Japan website that this card is subject to change of order? Yeah, so I'm thinking this is just me personally. Depending on whether Shingo and maybe maybe this isn't the criteria at all, but possibly if either Okada or Shingo are the champion would determine as to whether which one of those is in the main event. or if Nate, there is always the possibility that Osprey becomes champion and neither of them have the title going in. But um, 
I've got the sneaking suspicion that Tanahashi Okada and Kiyomiya Muto will just be the main event, period, regardless, because it's Okada and Muto, and that's going to just, it's going to be the main event no matter what they say, even though the other one's got Nakajima and, you know, Shingo and Naito and all that. I still just feel like the tag match is going to be the main event. Yeah, I think so too. That probably makes the most sense, like build wise, drawing wise. You don't want the. Kind of two Mega Aces teams against each other in the in the main event. Also, Mega Aces never win. So <laughs> <laughs> the um the only caveat I have is that Noah has their new Japan their new Japan their New Year's show on January first, and that main event is Go Shiozaki versus Katsuhiko Nakajima. Now, either it could go either way. Honestly, either they're right. gonna bring build up Shiozaki for this massive return run, or you know. It becomes going if they're going to keep the main event as Lij versus Congo. It becomes the how many belts can we show off in this one match? Because you currently have the GHC Heavyweight Champion, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. You have the possibility of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion and the GHC National Champion in Keno. So you could have you you have the opportunity to have four of your top titles showcased in the main event, or you have to worry about the belt count dropping to other people on the card. Yeah. So I feel like I don't think they're going to, as much as I love Shiozaki, I don't think they're going to put the GHC heavyweight champion in a match against Dick Togo and evil. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) I I just feel like it's going to be whichever. And if, if Tanahashi gets the U S belt back and Okada ends up walking out with the belt, then I feel like, and if that's the case, then it also hinges on Kiyomiya's match against Keno for the GHC National Championship, which could, again, effectively escalate that match to the top because Keiji Muto is also currently the GHC World Tag Team Champion with Marafuji. And that's that all makes sense, and it does change my perspective a little bit, but there's just the pessimistic side of me that's just like, it's Muto, it's Okada, it's Tanahashi. It doesn't really, it wouldn't even, like, they might still just made an event even with all those titles underneath it, them. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, kind, they're kind of above belts, honestly. Right, yeah. Well, uh, let's run so through these. Uh, I, I wouldn't be mad if it closed the show. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't even care if it closed <laughs> the show. <laughs> let's uh, run through these uh, questions real okay. quick here. Uh, so first from uh, Tanamatapia, he says, Realistically, I'm fine with all the multi-man tags. I expected it, but the roster members they used to fill out some of the spots have me baffled. No United Empire on this show. No Osprey, Kyle Khan, or Honare whatsoever. One of the finals of the Best of Super Juniors finals that we just saw is nowhere to be seen on this card. So not only no Yo, but no Rocky, no G.O.D., no Frontasma, no Eagles, no Hanma, no Tiger Mask, no Chase, no Folly, none of them. But somehow Dick Togo and Gato and Taka have fucking spots on the card. I am flabbergasted legitimately. Aside from Zach, do you think there's a reason that no other foreign talent is being used on the show? Or is it just because New Japan's booking is basically utter shit now? I think it's far to say that Dick <laughs> needs to go. Thanks for your time, boys, and hope you guys have a great Christmas. Wow. Um some things to think about there. I hadn't even really thought about that. I mean, one thing I did want to compliment them on, maybe I have to rethink this is the fact that they did so many tag matches has afforded a lot more of the lower card roster members to actually be included and get Mm. paydays and that sort of thing, which might not have been the case had they formatted the entire card differently. But I mean, he does bring up a good point. I mean, I understand why maybe some of the 
domestic stars uh, or I mean like Gaijin stars weren't really included because this card does seem to be more um, tailored for like the Japanese audience. You know, it's on pay-per-view there. It's probably going to mean more to the audiences domestically in Japan. Just the fact that it's Noah and New Japan and the history with them and everything. But I mean, yeah, he's right. There is no yo, you know, that is kind of weird. There's other, you know, New Japan stars that are domestic that could have been included that really aren't here. So that seems to be kind of strange as well. And then, yeah, Dick Togo and Gato are there. But I mean, that's probably, I guess it's probably because they're liaisons for the company and that has something to do with it. And, and they're but, pin eaters. Yeah, and they're pin eaters. And that's the other thing, too, is you need to have a lot of pin eaters for this type of card because it's a bunch of tag matches where they're protecting different people. So, Karen, I know you had a note here on this one. <laughs> I, I if, if you open the note, it's a very long note. So I went over to good old cagematch.net and ran the numbers. And the way I'm thinking that the reason why Zack Sabre Jr. got the one Gaijin spot on the card is he is former Noah Dojo. He went through the dojo yeah. in Noah with uh, Mikey Nichols, Shane Hayes, Jonah Rock. So if there were to be any other foreigners on this card, TMDK would be the only other option I could viably see and have it mean something to the Noah fans because Noah doesn't have any active current foreigners on their roster. Mm. And a lot of these uh. matches, like, it harkens back to the All Together show they did back in 2011 and 2012 after the Tohoku tsunami and earthquake. Because mm. New Japan, All Japan, and NOAA teamed up together and put on these massive shows that were just... Yeah, it was just a bunch of super duper tag matches. There's like 20 people tag matches and it was fine because it's more, I think it's more about the sportsmanship of it and burying some of the hatches because, you know, there is rumors that there is at certain points in time, especially in the last 10 years that there, you know, Noah and New Japan have had talent exchanges, but there's also been times where they're very hands off with one another and that's fine. When I, but when you think of people like, for example, in the, in, um, United Empire. Number of matches that Osprey's had with people in Noah on a Noah show. Zero. Jeff Cobb. Zero. Hanare. Zero. Okan. Zero. So there really isn't any link between that particular faction and Noah. So I see why they didn't necessarily go with it. Mm -hmm. I am surprised that they picked Watto over Yo because when Yo was a young lion, him and Sho had several tag matches in Noah as young lions. Um... If you want to get, get gritty about Taka, Taka's had over a hundred and something plus matches in Noah during the whole Suzuki Goon invasion. Ghetto is a former GHC junior tag champion. Togo, in the prior to coming to New Japan to be Evil's second, he did six months in Noah. So while we as New Japan fans who aren't familiar with Noah very much, don't we look at this card and we're like, what is this? Why, why, why aren't these people here? Why are these people here instead? If you do a fair enough amount of digging, they're trying to dig deep into the history between the two companies to pull in all these different matches. And some of these matches matchups may not be interesting to the diehard fan, New Japan fan, or even the diehard Noah fan. But if for people like us who fall in that middle category that have that overlap 
of or even remote interest just because you want to watch good wrestling. Are they all going to be five-star classics? No, but that's not the point. It's just supposed to be a fun card that's like a WrestleMania level length of card because it has 11 matches on it. But it's one of the things where I think it's more, you know, going into the 50th anniversary and how they're wanting to focus on the history. This card honors the history between the companies because a lot of these people who may be mid-carders in our minds as Westerners, they're the ones who have done the match numbers in the opposite promotion or they've been in the tournaments of the opposite promotion. And I think that's the, the we haven't gotten that level of understanding from either company at this point. Even in the match previews, there hasn't been any long detailed history given. So it's basically up to us as fans to basically, you can't even search New Japan World to find a lot of these matches. You have to go on like Daily Motion or YouTube or, you know, other, employ other resources. So it's one of the things where it's just like, I think, does it suck that all of these wonderful, talented people in New Japan aren't on the card? Yeah, but I see why the choices were made. But it took a fair amount of digging on my part for the last two days to under, to make sense of it all. Yeah, that's some great points that you brought up and yeah, kind of looking at the history there, why certain guys are there. It makes a ton of sense. Uh, so the next question we have here from Reddit user fit underscore beautiful 2638, which NJPW versus Noah match are you most looking forward to? Um, I guess Congo versus LIJ, um, just because of the level of talent that's involved in it. But honestly, none of it. Just being blunt, like I don't care about this show at all. By you, Karen. Uh, Kotoge versus Show because the last time they faced each other, Show was a young line named Show Tanaka who was eating a lot of pins in their junior, uh, their version of Best of the Super Juniors. So I'm mm. curious to see what kind of if. If they're going to let Murder Machine show be there, but not without the shenanigans, the show nanigans, as it were. <laughs> yeah, I'm also with Josh, uh, LIJ versus Congo, just with the level of talent in that match. And we re- we know how LIJ gets down in multi-mans. I think that could be end up being a really uh, great matchup. Uh, next question here from Raising Falcons. Don't know anything about Noah, but looking at the card for the Noah versus New Japan show, I see New Japan has a couple of notorious pin eaters in their teams. Is it the same on the Noah side? Is this a huge tell on which matches each company will win? Um, well, one thing that um, Karen pointed out, she said there's a lot of history between these, uh, you know, involved in these matches. And that is true. Um, I don't claim to be like a Noah historian, but, you know, if you even have a base level of uh, knowledge about these companies over the last 10, 15 years, you can find connections between many of the combatants that are here. So I don't think it's as simple as, you know, let's put a pin heater here and put a pin heater there. There are actual like kind of, I don't want to call them concurrent storylines, but there's connections all throughout the card. That being the case. Yeah. I do think that they still made sure that there's a lot of pin eaters here because there's still politics involved and they're still trying to protect particular guys and the reputations of each company. And um, I couldn't say, for instance, I can't tell you on wave. Well, yeah, I can. Panama is going to lose. <laughs> but in, in most cases, I, with the discerning, I couldn't just tell you automatically who's going to win and who's going to lose. And I don't know if that's the case for everyone else, but it seems to me that there's usually a pin eater on both sides. So 
there's still a question of who can win and lose in the, in most matches. I'm not too focused on who the, trying to figure out who the pin eater is. I just want to watch good wrestling and maybe watch some bad wrestling. It's fine. It's going to be, I'm just going to make my pancakes and, you know, pour my coffee and just make, make a morning of it. Have brunch. There we go. Strong style brunch. Uh, next question here from Rambo and Slam Pig. Says, uh, show has the only announced singles match for the NJPW versus Noah show. What type of match can we expect? Are we likely to get the new House of Torture stuff or a more vintage show performance? I don't know what to expect, to be honest with you. I think it would be a shame if if the House of Torture stuff is, you know, brought to light. Um, I wonder if anything between show and yo at Wrestle Kingdom is going to come into play as far as how show is wrestling and interacting on this show coming out of those two nights of Wrestle Kingdom. But yeah, I, I think it would be really shitty if uh <laughs> if we get a bunch of house torture stuff on this uh you know cross-branded show. I have a feeling that what however show comes out after his two matches with Yo in this particular series I'm thinking he might drop the stick and just go up for straight murder, which I would be fine with. I would prefer a more vintage show in the sense that he's going against Kotoge, who's a highly decorated junior in Noah's, in Noah's company and someone who can, he's like Ishimori. He can go, he can go with everyone. And it's very seldom that you see him have a bad match. Um, I'm curious to see what kind of match he can pull out of show, but I would prefer it to be more, vintage show or show minus the shenanigans if possible please and thank you yeah how the tours have is so against like the house style of noah uh so hopefully we see a minimal shenanigans in their matches and hopefully like you mentioned we do get a, a vintage show performance here uh next questions here from hawaiian punch vb are you disappointed that all that all but one of the one eight matches matchups are just no uh it's a point that all but one of the one eight matchups are just New Japan versus Noah or just tags. Do you think we should be more crossover team ups? Uh, Funky Express teaming with the Funky Weapon should have been a no brainer. Ishimori and Kenta versus Abushi and Marufuji would have been really nostalgic. Were you? Why are we getting House of Torture Dick Togo instead of Sakura Gun Dick Togo? Toki <laughs> and Osawa would have been a Hapona style mall and Los Perros mall team up. No, Ida sucks. Shingo Takagi and Yohei have history as Dragon Gate wrestlers and Monkey Abusers, or maybe not that last team up. um you know i guess to kind of just speak to the card itself um you know there were reports that uh namely kendo cashin had suggested that they do strictly tag matches to kind of protect you know the interests of both companies and then lo and behold we do have you know all tag matches uh in my opinion, I, I think there's a lot of different things they could have done differently here, and I am disappointed. Um, and I'm not disappointed because they're doing the show. I mean, the very fact that we're getting Noah versus New Japan in, at all is like, that's crazy. You know, that's awesome. But I think the fact that they're calling it Wrestle Kingdom, when you call it Wrestle Kingdom, there's an expectation that you give us fucking Wrestle Kingdom. This is not Wrestle Kingdom. This is like an altogether show, which is fine. They should have called it something other than Wrestle Kingdom. And then not only did they call it Wrestle Kingdom, but they had those press conferences, even just the imagery in the promotional material with the each singles guy facing off with the, one another. I mean, I'm not saying that they promised us or false advertised certain matches. They didn't go that far, 
but it's not very far from it. They really did make it seem, they said we're getting dream matches on a special Noah versus New Japan card. So you're thinking, oh my God, at least one or two dream matches will occur here. Now, I do think that for some people, probably those top two matches on top are dream matches of a sort, but I don't think that's what most people's minds were considering. Um, I look at that cyber agent show they did this past year, and you know, no one complained that they weren't doing all head-to-head DDT versus you know, um, Noah and, and Tokyo Joshi Pro matches. Like They were able to do a cohesive cross-promotional show still featuring their own talents in their own individual matches, some special matchups, you know, maybe a crossover match here or there. I feel like even just doing that would have been enough to satisfy what people were kind of hoping for here. I also would have been fine if they did do like a few singles matches and a bunch of other mixed matches and maybe they go 50, 50, you know, Mm -hmm. give us the old, you know, 50 50 booking everybody looks just as strong as everybody and we walk out you know happy at the end of it um it's not like there isn't a history of new japan and noah working together and having singles matches and having 50 50 booking and that's existed in the past so yes i'm extremely disappointed i don't think that um i don't think the card's bad but i also don't think it's worth 30 dollars to pay for pay-per-view and the way they hyped it up and, and booked it or not booked it, but uh, kind of advertised it made me really feel like I was like, Oh shit. You know, I wasn't like, I am a pessimist. So I wasn't thinking like, Oh, we're getting like eight, you know, singles matches, but I was like, we're going to get one major crossover singles match of some sort. We didn't even get one. And I'm like, Oh, that really like sucks. <laughs> but, um, who knows? Maybe, maybe there are a lot of people have suggested that down the line, this might be the first step to other shows between the two companies, which I think if that's the case, that's awesome. Maybe there will be storylines that come out of it. But there's also the part of me that's like, you only get one shot to make one fresh new, imp- like first impression. And this is not a good first impression for the majority of fans when they, like, Karen mentioned there is a small subsect of cross sectionality of some fans, but most fans are not like that. You you got Noah fans, you got New Japan fans, and I feel like this was an opportunity to do something that was really hot and fresh that drew both the eyes from both audiences onto one another. Maybe start something bigger. And I don't know. I feel like if you already are at the point right now where you're protecting everybody on both sides, the likelihood that down the line they might, you know be a little uh, less hesitant to have any of their guys go over on one another. It seems very unlikely to me. I feel like this is a one-off and they want us to pay $30 for it. And I'm like, the only reason I feel like I might do that is because we have to cover it next week. If we weren't covering it for the show, I would not put any money down on the show. I would wait a week and I, I venture most people will. Yeah, and I pretty much agree with you, Josh. I won't repeat all the same points, but like you mentioned, it, it should, they didn't have to call it Wrestle Kingdom. They didn't have to do it Wrestle Kingdom weekend. They didn't have to do all these big press conferences. They didn't have to have guys cut promos on each other. Like you mentioned, the image with the face-offs. Um, it, it's on pay-per-view, and I, I get it. It is for a good cost. It's going to Japanese Red Cross, but they just did so many things. And even like Abari saying, like the, the guys are deciding who are, who they want to wrestle. 
Um, there's just so many elements that went in it to it to make you make us think that we were going to get some singles matches. And again, they didn't advertise it, but just the way it was hyped and built, it seemed like we we're getting a little bit more than what we we're getting. The way I'm looking at it is that I feel like this, yes, I agree about the whole Wrestle Kingdom naming. It should have been, if you want to have it in that week, give it a different name, but give it a neutral name. Because you picked a neutral venue, give it a neutral name. I, I don't doubt that the pageantry will be anything short of outstanding because both companies love their pageantry. I feel like this particular show, and I hate to say it, it's not designed for the Western fan. Mm. It's designed for the Japanese fans because NOAA fans and New Japan fans in Japan, there there's crossover, but it's also like us. There's very separate camps, very separate but equal camps or, you know, one thinking that they're better than the other. I feel like this particular show is designed to be a sampler platter of both shows to gain fans from the opposite sides. It's mm. to draw in the casual fans that aren't in that bubble crossover. Yeah, I, I because can see they that. haven't even addressed if there's going to be English commentary on the show. Uh, I think no, there, no, there will be. Yeah, there will be. Yeah, is it going to yeah. be? Is it going to be Pickering and Fulton or? They didn't say that it was going to be Kevin. Kevin's not scheduled to be right. there. I don't think. I don't think it's him. I think it's uh, whoever covers Noah. Is All right, going... so those guys are really good. But I think that's who's going to be doing it. Okay. So. Nice. But but yeah, I feel like it's it's more it it. As much as we would love to hope that straight out of the gate, it's going to be a, a super dream, you know, fever dream buffet of all our dream matches. I feel like this is more of the sampler platter to get people in the door because there are so many people on it that it should or it would or I would hope that it would build to something more. I feel like, you know, granted, Sugira Dick Togo versus House of Torture Dick Togo, Dick Togo could surprise us. He could do some su- he could do some throwbacks, kind of like whenever Ishimori and Taguchi go at it, and Ishimori throws or Taguchi throws his Sendai Sailor Boys pop idol time in his face. I feel like there's going to be those fun nostalgic throwbacks, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, overall, I think it, it will end up being a good card, but uh, yeah, definitely just expect a little bit different. But uh, two last questions on this subject, and then we're gonna move on. Yeah, so it says, uh, Night 3, are you ex- excited for Kotoge versus show? Would you be more excited if it happened about four months ago before show turned heel? I would say yes. Uh, the one thing I'll say, um, the likelihood that show picks up the wind is a lot higher right now than it probably would have been four months ago. That even is though true. I don't know what the match quality will look like. I can't speak to that because we don't know what show is going to show up. But uh, he's higher up in the company than he was back then. Of all the juniors getting a singles match on this card, he's the only one. That's not a young lion. So yeah, it, yeah, it, that's it, very it, interesting. It could be a stride towards twenty twenty two being his year. Whether it whether it's going to be more babyface show versus whatever they're doing with him right now as heel show, it could be an evolution based on what happens at nights one and two. We'll see. Then the last question here from Dom Holy 101 with the NJPW versus Noah card being announced. Do you guys think we'll see more of both companies working together or is this just a one-off? My gut tells me this is a one-off. However, I feel like there could be an open door for 
interaction between the two companies. I don't know that they're going to do another full-blown card like they're doing here. That The logistics of it feel like maybe it's too difficult. But could there be angles that branch off of this that open up like maybe a light talent exchange or features, you know, down the line? Possibly. I think it all depends on if they turn a profit on it. So if you want to see more of this in the future, you might want to consider buying the pay-per-view because part of the donation goes to charity. And the other thing will be like, oh, this product is selling. Let's do more of it. If they don't see it selling, they're not going to do it again. But part of me feels like I don't want to pay for this because I'm I'm telling them that I like what they're giving us. And I don't want them to think that this is good. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to fill out a comment card on the New Japan and Noah website. Go ahead. Uh, service will address your grievances. Go ahead and tweet, tweet Obari. Do not tweet at <laughs> do not tweet at Obari or anybody else, please. No, and thank you. That's what I was gonna do. I'm gonna tweet Obari and be like, Obari, my boy, why are you fucking us like this? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> what did we do? We were good this year. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I agree with Karen. I think it's gonna be about business. If they see like if this draws well, period buys are up, then I think they will work out the logistics and do it one more time. But if, if Kiyomiya pins Okada, then we're definitely getting another show. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. So uh, we are running tight on time here. So I'm going to run through these uh, Road to Tokyo Dome cards. So we had a card today, uh, which is main evented by Shingo Hiromu versus Kuzuko Okada versus Robbie Eagles. We had Naito Sonata and Bushi versus Cobb, Okan, and Aaron Hanare. Tanahashi Deguchi and Master Wato against Gato, Taiji Shibori, and El Fantasmo. Goto, Yoshihashi, and Tiger Mask versus Tai Chi, Saber, and Taka. Ishii, Yo, and Oiwa against Evil, Yujiro, and Sho. Yano, Fujita against Kanemaru and Doki. And then Nagata and Nakashima versus Bad Luck, Fale, and Chase. Then on Wednesday, the 22nd, we have a main event of Tanahashi, Eagles, and Tiger Mask versus Kenta, Taiji, and ELP. Shingo and Hiromu versus Okada and Taguchi. Naito, Sonata, and Bushi versus Cobb, Okan, Hanare. Goto, Yoshihashi, Wato against Tai Chi, Saber, and Taka. Ishii, Makabe, Hanma, and Yo versus Evil, Yujiro, Dick, Togo, and Sho. Yano, Tenzan, and Kojima versus Zuki, Kanemaru, and Doki. And then Fale, Chase, and Jado versus Nakashima, Oiwa, and Vegeta. Then on Thursday, December 23rd, we have a main event of Hiromu and Bushi versus Despi and Doki. Shingo, Naito, and Sonata versus Cobb, Okan, and Hanare. Okada, Tanahashi, Hanma, and the Eagles. And Tiger Mask versus Kenta, Fale, Chase, Taiji, and ELP. Ishii, Tenzan, Kojima, and Yo versus Evil, Yujiro, uh, Dick, and Sho. Yano and Nagata versus Suzuki and Kanemaru. Goto, Yoshihashi, and Vegeta versus Taichi, ZSJ, and Taka. Taguchi and Master Wato against Oiwa and Nakashima. And then the last Road 2 show will be Friday, December 24th. Main event of Shingo and Bushi versus Okada and Eagles. Hiromu, Tai Naito, Sonata versus Desperado and the Dangerous Techers. Ishii, Goto, and Yoshihashi. And Yo versus House of Torture. We have the last KOPW 2021 match. It will be Toro Yano versus Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Uh, Twitter poll will determine which alcoholic beverages will be used in the year end party KOPW 2021 match uh, happening at this Rotu show. Yano will defend his title against Kanamaru at the show in the year end party. The rules are explained as a normal match, but wrestlers will be forced to drink alcohol at two minute intervals. The referee will then administer a 20 count. Should either competitor not be able to respond to the 20 count, they will lose. But pinfall submission and disqualification rules still apply. I'm really glad we uh, 
are getting this instead of ladder matches, cage matches, and uh, you know that sort of thing. <laughs> Iron Man matches. Remember when people thought that that's what we were getting? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also we have Tanahashi, Makabe, and Hanma versus Kenta, Bad Luck, Fale, and Chase. Tenzan Kojima and Nagata versus Cobb, Okan, Hanare, and then the opener of Taguchi versus ELP versus Tiger Mask. So a preview for the junior tag title match. Then this past Saturday, we had uh, episode 71 of New Japan Strong. It was the final show from the Nation Tour. We had Kevin Knight in the DKC defeating Brogan Finley and Jordan Clearwater at 8 minutes, 8 seconds. Second matchup, we had the team filthy team of J.R. Kratos and Royce Isaac teaming up with the new Black Tiger to defeat uh, Finn Juice and Rocky Romero, 14 minutes and 5 seconds. And then the main event for the strong openweight title, Filthy Tom Lawler retained and defeated Fred Rosser by referee's decision, 24 minutes, 28 seconds. You guys have any uh, quick thoughts about this week's detonation? Uh, before that, I hope we get snow falling from the rafters on the final night of uh, the road to Tokyo Dome. Um, but other than that, uh, Tom Lawler versus Fred Rosser. Awesome. I'm, I'm salty. They haven't. They're not going to have the New Japan Bodybuilding Contest on the last. Oh yeah, the con- what's it? The Concerto. The Concurso. The con- they yeah. are not having it, as far as I know. And I haven't watched Strong just yet because I was in my Noah hole finding all that those facts. So, but Lawler Rosser has to be good. So I'm gonna watch that. The new Black Tiger's lame. Rosser and uh, Tom Lawler's was awesome. Um, that's about it. Yeah, uh, big win for Kevin Knight and DKC Young Lions getting getting a big win over there. So, so overall, yeah. overall solid solid episode. Uh, then just quick couple news items here. So uh, New Japan Strong, they are coming here to uh, St. Pete, Tampa Bay area for Strong Style Evolved 2022 Sunday, March 20th. Tickets will go on sale Monday, January 3rd. Uh, wrestlers currently announced for the show, Strong Openweight Champion, Filthy Tom Lawler, Switchblade, Jay White, The Flamboyant Juice Robinson, Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser, Jonah, The Alpha Wolf, Carl Frederick, Still Wild, Rhino, Clark Connors, The Young Gun, Hikaleo, Rocky Asuka Romero, our good friend, and more names and match car to be announced. And then my, my, my girlfriend keeps uh, saying she wants to go, but only if Tai Chi is going to be there. And I keep explaining to her that Tai Chi is definitely for sure 1000% not going to be <laughs> on Strong Style Evolved oh, in St. Petersburg, Florida. Send over techers as the emissaries of Japan. Maybe. Yeah. And if uh, anybody's going to this show in the Tampa Bay, St. Pete area, we are planning on hosting some kind of fan meetup before the show, um, hang out, have a good time, and kind of, you know, we got, we got a location locked down, but we need to uh, get some other details worked out. Yeah, so stay tuned for more details as that show gets closer here. Do um, you think we have time for these questions, or should we just go? Yeah, right we now? can. We can roll through these real quick. Um, also, Terminus January 16th, Moose versus Coglin was announced. Yep, so Terminus, that's uh, Gresham's uh, promotion that's coming out in Atlanta. So a lot of interesting also, matchups. Also, um, didn't Will Ospreay won the Warrior Wrestling title? Yeah. Yes, he did, yeah. So that's news, I guess. Yep. But yeah, let's, uh, let's roll through these questions real quick, and then let's get out of here. Uh, so EMJ does PR, he asked, U.S. of J-E-W? <laughs> I don't think so, but uh, maybe it's hard to tell right now. 
Yeah, I mean, he's booked until March for New Japan, so not sure about him going to AEW. If he's happy, healthy, and his bills are paid, it's fine with me. Uh, EMJSPR also asks, who is not going to be around by next Wrestle Kingdom? Tenzon. (laughs) (laughs) Hanma, I don't, or Makabe, I don't know. Like, they mean, like, with the company, not as in, like, no longer on this plane of existence, right? Right, with the company. Because, you know, we've seen a lot of people, all, every year we always see people leaving and going, so. I, I wonder if Finn Juice is on Borrowed Time. I wouldn't be surprised. I could see both, yeah, both those guys leaving as soon as their contracts are up. Uh, next question here from Puro Poppy. With all the possible Puro companies for New Japan to do a crossover show with, what promotion would you want to see a crossover with? New Japan the most. For me, it's Dragon Gate. I really enjoy the Lucha Rezu in-ring product of Dragon Gate, but I'm not a fan of the overall presentation. I think a DG Times New Japan show would be the best of both worlds for in-ring and a sports presentation. What are your guys' thoughts on Dragon Gate? Well, I don't follow Dragon Gate nearly as closely as some of the other companies that are out there, but the reality is, from an in-ring perspective, like perspective, they're probably one of the best companies that are out there. The problem with a Dragon Gate New Japan show is New Japan's sort of um, attitude when it comes to juniors. And Dragon Gate is a company full of juniors. And, you know, I just can't see Shun Skywalker standing toe to toe with Hiroshi Tanahashi or Kazushiko Okada. So that's what makes it difficult for me. Like, if it was like some of the best juniors of New Japan facing off with juniors from Dragon Gate, I could totally see that happening. But, Man, I, I have a hard time seeing them giving equal billing to a a division or a company that's primarily made up of juniors. I mean, you know, they didn't do that with Michinoku Pro back in the day, so Yeah, but I'm all in for Dragon Gate guys being a part of best super junior. I think that'd probably be the best bet. I agree. I think I think Dragon if if, if Super Juniors is moved to May, June next year, and provided the world doesn't change between now and then if they have to rely upon talent that is in Japan proper, I would like to see them open up the gates to all the juniors. I want the Noah juniors there. I want the Dragon Gate guys there. I want, you know, I don't know what the working relationship between New Japan and All Japan is, but try to break, build build or repair that bridge as well. I feel like the, that kind of crossover might make some of these matches feel much, and tournaments feel much more fresh. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to uh, skip through the, the boxing questions for this week and save them for next week. Why? I got short answers. I got them. Oh, you got them? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Hawaiian Punch BB asked, you, did you see Tyron Woodley being sent to the Shadow Realm by Jake Paul? Yep. Saw it. We're, we're doing the FOH draft. If you guys haven't gotten it yet, go give us a donation and uh, download the FOH draft. I, I talk about it live on the air. And, uh, you know, I thought Tyron Woodley was going to get knocked out because – he took the fight on two weeks' notice, and he's not a boxer. So he also asked, "Boston's unified light heavyweight champion is that Arthur Betterbeev? Betterbeev. Betterbeev successfully defended his title against uh, Marcus Brown this past weekend. Hardcore boxing fans like myself want to see a dream matchup with Canelo before it's too late. In his past two fights, Betterbeev is starting to look a little bit slower and older. How do you think a fight between those two will go? Do you think Betterbeev's pressure and thudding power with?" Crack connect Canelo's defense and chin. Yeah, Better Biev is the toughest fighter out there for uh, 
Canelo that's within range of his weight classes, and I think he would destroy Canelo. I don't think it's a close fight at all. I think it's a terrible, terrible fight for him to take. It's too much weight, too much power, uh, too much range. I think it's a bad, bad, bad deal, and I think that's why he hasn't even talked. I, I think, well, he talks about fighting him, but I don't think he should. Uh, Dom Homie 101, this is with AEW announcing the Owen Hart Cup tournament. Do you guys think we may see some NJPW involvement with the tournament since Owen's past history with the company? Possibly. I mean, I guess it depends on availability. It sounds like these might be round robin tournaments, and I don't know, you know, how much uh, how much time uh, New Japan guys have to devote to being part of a round robin tournament. But it, it is possible that there could be a representative from the company. I, I wouldn't put that past them. Yeah, I know our good friend Rocky Romero is helping uh, get Owen footage uh, to be put, um, or, you know, part of the tribute for this uh, Owen Cup tournament. So should be fun. Uh, thoughts on Ric Flair's comments on Brian Danielson being a good but not great worker? Um, I don't know. That I think that's. A bizarre statement. I, I didn't hear him say that, but I mean, in my estimation, this is just my opinion. Since the time of Ric Flair, the next best North American worker in the history of pro wrestling is Brian Danielson. So I don't know. I mean, the only thing I could think of is maybe he's talking about the art of working, not just necessarily wrestling, you know, mechanics, but like actually what goes into like making people believe and the facials and the selling and everything like that. But I don't know. Rick, Rick likes flashy guys. Brian Danielson's not a flashy guy. You know, he's, he's not a big guy. He's not a muscular guy. He's not super charismatic the way that traditionally Rick Flair seems to be drawn to like a dusty or a Hogan or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. Kind of, kind of interesting comments there, but I don't know Brian, Brian's awesome. Uh, what are some of your favorite wrestling gifts that you got for Christmas or the holidays? Also, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all. Wrestling buddies when I was a kid? I don't know. <laughs> what are you, Karen? My plane ticket to Wrestle Kingdom a couple of years ago was kind of nice. Mm. <laughs> Wouldn't say no to that again. Or show tickets. I do love I do love tickets very much like Cameron Diaz and Charlie's Angels. I love tickets. <laughs> nice. Uh, for me, I definitely as a kid got always got a bunch of action figures and ring play sets uh jack specifics uh yeah those those are always great to get as a kid uh last question is it me or am i the only one that's not impressed with this whole jake paul aka fake paul as a boxer yeah he's not a good fighter that's it that's all you gotta say like (laughs) he'd, he'd get destroyed by any actual trained amateur level boxer in his same weight class so i mean that's pretty much it it's 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 freak show fights Nice. Well, last thing here, recommended match of the week. So last week I recommended the GHC heavyweight title match between Tagura and Goto from Wrestle Kingdom. Josh, what do you think about this one? Their first match from Wrestle Kingdom, yeah. specifically. This was from Wrestle Kingdom 4, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, really, really like this match a lot. Very interesting. Um, Sagura and Goto kind of gave off an air like they – were kind of uncooperative with one another. Like they were finding it difficult to get on the same page, which in a certain sense was kind of cool because the Noah new Japan rivalry was very like hot at the time. So it kind of gave it that sense of like realism, but I was sort of thinking, I was like, man, like they're having a tough time, like getting it together a little bit. 
maybe they're unfamiliar. And then I went and looked and they'd already wrestled like four, five times up to this point. And they were very familiar, should have been very familiar with one another. Um, but, you know, kind of putting that part of the match aside, um, this is probably the match of the night for that year's Wrestle Kingdom. If not, maybe Tanahashi, Goshi Ozaki was. It's hard to say. They're both very, very good matches. Um, but this was extremely hard-hitting, as you'd expect from Segura and Goto. Um, one thing, though, Segura didn't sell much for Goto. He kind of just was eating Goto alive. Like, Goto would try to give him offense, and Segura was kind of like juggernaut through it. Yeah. Uh, which was interesting. There was a turning point towards the tail end of the match where Goto gave him a hangman's neck breaker off of the turnbuckle onto the apron, which was kind of nasty looking. But, uh, you know, Goto hit Segura with his uh, finisher at the time. I forget what it's called. That Shouting suplex. Kai. Yeah, the Shouting Kai. Hit him with that shout, the Shouting Kai and got a big near fall. Segura kept getting the uh, ankle lock on him over and over and over again. Goto kicked out of a angle slam which was a big moment and he got out of the ankle lock twice but towards the tail end of the match he locked up a third ankle lock and it was too much you know back then with goto they always did this thing where goto would eat a lot of punishment eat a lot of punishment eat a lot of punishment and then keep kicking out and then right when you think he's gonna go away he takes one big finisher one big move that he shouldn't kick out of and he does kick out and you're like oh he's gonna come back and then he eats another finisher and then loses. <laughs> and they did this on the big shows with him all the time, especially like when he's facing foreigners or uh, outside guys like Muto or Segura or whoever. And it was like, oh, here we go again. Like Goto's going to lose again. And he did. But um, very, very good match. I'd go four stars on it. Uh, if you like Hoss battles, hard-hitting action, this is a – and. It, you know, it's like 18 minutes, so it's it doesn't overstay its welcome at all. But very, very good match. I liked it a lot. Nice. So um, I have gone ahead and selected a recommended match of the week. Um, we are going to do a Noah versus New Japan battle. We're going to go back to the Tokyo Dome. We're going to the year 2002. This is from May 2nd. It is available on New Japan World. Um, the show is njpw token memorial day 30th anniversary and it is from the semi-main event of this show where the iwgb heavyweight champion yuji nagata defended his title against a debuting for noah yoshihiro takiyama and uh dave Meltzer gave this match four and a quarter it's got 8.0 flat on uh cage match and it's fucking awesome nice looking forward to uh checking that one out Karen, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you online and plug anything you want to plug. All right. Well, thanks for having me again. I, I always love our like four-hour conversations. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Hey Karen Sensei. Um, I'm also doing stardom coverage for post-wrestling. So if you head over to post-wrestling and you just type in my name, Karen Peterson, very easy to spell, very easy to find. And I'm on there. And last week I guested on not a wrestling podcast for them, but their MCU later uh, Marvel uh, podcast talking about Hawkeye episode five, Ronin. Please go listen. Nice. We, uh, we just got a tweet. Me every time Super J cast is mentioned on Reddit at Chaos Strong Stuff. Oh, <laughs> I misread this. I thought they were saying, <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were saying, 
me every time that Super J cast is mentioned on Keeping It Strong Style. And I was mm-hmm. like, why? We always put them over. I don't understand. Oh, yeah. They got buried on, on Reddit this week. <laughs> Again? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Just that one time. Uh- <laughs> 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 oh, man. Well, that's going to uh, wrap things up. Next week, we'll be back to preview Russell Kingdom 16 of our good pal Chris Samsa. We're going to do our official preview and predictions for Russell Kingdom 16. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash social suplex. Also in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we're at social suplex. On Reddit, on the pro black guy, just keeping a strong style. You can email me, jeremy at social suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the AEW Match Guide Podcast. Hosted by Sir Sam. Also, don't forget to check out the FOH Draft, now available to download on socialsuplex.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.